Wrestling Geeks What up, everybody? So glad you're here. It's Dane with the flow back in your ear. And we got another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Yeah, my white ass just did a Coolio lyric, but that's okay. Um, yeah, and uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Thank you guys so much for listening out there in Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, me and Christopher Brother Ray Patton always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about AEW. We're going to be talking about NXT. We're going to be talking about Double or Nothing. And we're going to go over the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring uh, with the tragic uh, final rest, final days, I should say, of Owen Hart. Uh, so it's going to be a fun show, and you guys are going to enjoy it, because I said so. No, no, I'm just kidding. Chris, uh, it's not because I said so. Tell the people why they're going to enjoy this. Well, I mean, we get to talk about the AEW upcoming pay-per-view and two good shows on Wednesday, as well as... Uh, the finale, like you said, a dark side of the ring, and all those things were pretty, pretty solid. Lots of fun shit to talk about. How's how's your week been, man? It's been good. You know, things are slow over at the t-shirt company, but we are, you know, doing what we can and uh, trying to keep busy. I think that's the uh, the biggest thing. And even my bosses kind of joke about it, but um, you know, there's not a lot to do. We've already like detail cleaned the whole entire place and had. And painted and, and and whatnot and we're doing our orders but you know it's a slow time everyone's everyone's dealing with it and we're we're keeping afloat and uh you know doing some good stuff how's your your week been good sir i've been actually busy as hell but it's you know programming is a little different than a lot of other things so it's uh it's been a super busy week for me but good overall i mean no no complaints yeah so yeah now i gotta be here and we're about to talk wrestling, so this is it's starting off great. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, definitely uh, enjoyed breaking down the wrestling talk. Uh, unfortunately, we have to start off, Chris, by talking about a sad subject. Um, I'm sure everyone knows this because it became huge news, and obviously we talked to wrestling fans on here, or uh, maybe aspiring wrestling fans, and whoever listens, I appreciate it. If you're listening to a wrestling podcast and you don't like wrestling – Hey, whatever you want to do. But in, in all seriousness, um, I think we all heard about uh, what happened with Chad Gaspard, um, uh, ex-WWE wrestler, part of Crime Time. Uh, he was at Venice Pier uh, with his son. Or no, he was at Venice Beach, I should say, with his son. And um, his 10-year-old son. And they were swimming. They got about. Uh, they got out a little bit too deep. A riptide started happening. And when lifeguards went to go and, um, you know, get them, uh, this is a very, very tragic story. Sorry, guys. Um, when they, when lifeguards went and tried to get both of them, he made it a point to worry about his son. And by the time they cut back, uh, he disappeared underneath waves. And unfortunately, they found Shad's body at the pier of Venice Beach on one of them. Um, and it's a really tragic story. Um, very, very heroic story, too. 
if there's any type of silver line to something this terrible, you know, the fact that he gave his life for his sons, I, I think that, and I'm not even a father, but I, you know, I could talk to my dad and ask him. I think any father would, would do that. Um, so I, I don't know a lot about him personally. He was in an era of wrestling in which I, uh, you know, wasn't watching at the time. I watched a uh, package WWE put on their network. That was about 10 minutes. And this guy was hell of an athlete, huge, um, really, really, you know, uh, had a lot of personality and charisma and, um, just, uh, surprised he didn't do more in wrestling. Honestly, I, I don't know what the outcome was, um, for crime time. Um, I don't even know when they ended up leaving. Like I said, him and J or JTG, they were, you know, when I wasn't watching wrestling basically, but either way, it doesn't stop this from being any less tragic. And so many people from Shaquille O'Neal to Batista, you know, uh, athletes, actors, uh, the rock wrestlers all had wonderful things to say about, um, Chad and, you know, it, Stuff like this is just absolutely awful, and uh, God, it's been crazy ass year. It seems like situations like this kind of tend to happen. Um, but like I said, uh, Chris, I think that the only silver lining is that he went out like a hero, saving his son and worrying about him uh, first and foremost. And that's it's pretty awesome. But um, you you actually watch you know WWE back when he was wrestling. Uh, you know, obviously let me know whatever you want to say, but also give me some information about him as a wrestler and uh, Crime Time as a tag team. Well, Crime Time as a tag team, I actually enjoyed. I kind of liked their gimmick. Um, they're in a little bit of a weird place in wrestling just because it's of the time period. I mean, you're coming out of kind of, what, the ruthless aggression era, but uh, they were... You know, NWA, former NWA tag team champions, and I remember watching some of their stuff in um, OVW, but obviously the main roster is what I kind of know them most for. Um, I know that when Shad left, he went into acting. I don't know too much about that piece of his career, but I know he did some films, and uh, yeah, I mean, they did... I, I remember a bunch of stuff with JBL and... and few i think a few, even a few matches where it's like i want to say that it was jbl and like murdoch and whoever his partner was versus like john cena in crime time um and they also you know helped helped him when he was getting attacked kind of by this little group that they had they'd filmed and that's kind of what i remember this would have been about the 2000 2008 2009 time period so i it it's there's not one thing that I can really pick out about their career other than they were a solid tag team that had a gimmick that was over with the fans. I mean, they were pretty good in the ring from what I recall. I think you summed up the, the tragedy itself very well. I mean, this is very sad. This is my least favorite part of the show when we have to talk about stuff like this actually. Um, but yeah, very unfortunate passing and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's sad that they didn't actually do more in WWE because, like I said, I, I remember them being pretty over and put into situations with other big wrestlers, but kind of were kind of an afterthought during that time. Um, and that's not saying anything bad on them. That's just that's the WWE, you know, from let's say 2006 to 2011 
a lot of guys like this kind of pass through, even though they were really talented. I would uh, say if anyone wants to get a little bit, um, you know, more to know about Shad, if you're like me, check out, check out the, um, I think it's about 15 minutes. Uh, it's, it's different segments and different wrestling matches involving crime time with Shad. And uh, two of the segments that actually really uh, made me laugh was, I forgot what they're saying was, it was like, get it, it's not get money, but it was something on that, on those lines. And they were in the locker room and they started doing a dance around Vince McMahon, William Regal, coach, and um, uh, what's his name? Um, Hala Hala, God damn it, uh, Theodore Long. And everyone progressively started joining the group while dancing. And of course, William Regal and Vince McMahon have their scoffs. And then Regal gets a hat put on his head and then he starts doing it. And it was, it was, it was really funny. They had another one. <laughs> With uh, Shaquille O'Neal and um, uh, what's his name? Santino tried to like do a rap about himself, and they were like, "All right, you need to leave, man." And that was that. That made me laugh too. So it's unfortunate I don't get to share the memories of of them as wrestlers, but you know, obviously tragedy is tragedy. What were you gonna say? Sorry. I would think that like you know the biggest time for them is definitely during to me was during the Cena feud but the one big match that kind of stands out in my mind now that I'm kind of looking over their history is they had a if you remember Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase were a team for a while and they had a a pretty good yeah they had a a pretty good tag match with them at Unforgiven um, during that time period so if I had to pick like one to go watch that would probably be the one I would recommend as far as a crime time match goes all right, so um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about AEW and NXT next. Uh, I'm gonna stretch and talk about Owen Hart's documentary at the end of the show because I don't want to really do this back to back with that documentary. There's a lot of uh, stuff that even brings me uh, more to um, you know it's it this, these things are sad. I I don't know how how to say it anything else besides that. But like we normally do in any situation where a wrestler passes away. I want to give 10 seconds um, in honor of Shad. So. Okay. Well, let's move on and talk about, I think we should do NXT first and then we'll go to AEW, Chris, and then obviously progress into double or nothing. Um, but great shows. I really enjoyed um, a lot of aspects. I thought AEW kind of was clunky in certain parts, but we'll get to it. Uh, but I really enjoyed uh, NXT and AEW, just as always. And certain things that I, I have to really, really say is that certain things that have not held my attention as much, slowly with NXT, particularly the, um, you know, the, the Cruiserweight tournament, I didn't care as much. I really have to be honest with you. Like, they were great matches, but, you know, it was kind of whatever. Now it's really drawing me in, into it, and um, I'm just appreciating the storytelling on NXT and AEW. I don't, I'm not trying to kiss their ass or anything like that. I just – I'm happy that I can watch some good wrestling. Um, but we first had uh, Karrion Cross with Scarlett. It came out, kind of worked, I think, on their entrance, it looked like, a bit. Still looked awesome. Great presentation. They come, and uh, Karen Cross just basically eats this dude. <laughs> I think part of the concept 
uh, you know, in the squash match, the first one we kind of said like it, it went too long. Like he was, he just kept on beating him up, beating him up, and not ending it. I'm starting to think that Karrion Cross, Chris, has the like the personality of a cat <laughs> when it comes to like if it's gonna murder something, it's gonna play around with it and torture it for a little while before it actually goes in for the kill. Uh, but he did, and uh, afterwards, uh, Tommaso Ciampa entered. And basically, I'm getting like a little bit of like a Harley Quinn Joker vibe with with Scarlet and Carrion, uh, with Scarlet like you know leaning on the ropes and smiling all big, and laughing while Tommaso Ciampa you know who also is the Sicilian psychopath, a fucking maniac, enters the ring and just lays down the the first match basically for an NXT Takeover in your house between the two of them, and uh, I thought he cut a really good promo. Uh, I like how he said, you know, you're special. You got you got this look to you. You got you got this entrance. You you have this. You have that. You know what's special? I am too. And it's not really. It's kind of like specials. Like kind of uses a synonym for crazy, because these guys I think are going to have an awesome match. They're going to kick the shit out of each other. I think Champa's going to put over Killian Cross to help him out, and it's going to be a good match. And I'm looking forward to it because if you're going to have a psychopath. Feud with someone, it might as well be another psychopath. So I like this whole uh, this pairing, and I like the uh, the first match, and um, how he disposed of his his little jobber friend. Um, I like him in the ring, man. He's he's vicious. He's always been like that, but the way they're doing it next year, I'm enjoying this. Uh, Chris, how'd you like the opening package of the match, and then Tommaso Ciampa's uh, you know words afterwards to carry him? So Killer Cross looked great in this match. They did exactly what I said they should do last week. So there's nothing really to complain about. I love that uh, was a doomsday suplex that he does right before he hits the cross jacket. His finisher. I thought that was a cool little setup. I, I like I like the like you said kind of the for lack of a better example. I, I like that the the Harley Quinn Joker type deal. It it fits with the character and uh, putting him with Champa is great. I mean because he you know, if he beats Champa, it's not going to be the end of end of Champa's career or anything at this point. I mean, I think he's just going to be beloved no matter what. Um, I just went. How long is it until they're going to do that match? That's. I, I feel like you still need to build Cross a little more before you go straight to that match. But um, I guess we'll see. But I, I am looking forward to it. I really like Champa's promo because he did a good job of putting over Cross, but still making sure that he got himself over during it. And a lot of people yep. go the opposite route <laughs> where they just bury the new guy and then put themselves over. This was a, uh, it's like textbook, good wrestling promo where both guys kind of get over from the promo in the setup to the match. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I want to see how it plays out. I just don't know how far out their next big show is, or even if they're going to do a takeover, like, are we just going to see this in four weeks on TV or are they going to make this, I guess no, he did say um, June 7th, right? Yeah. Didn't Chompa say that? June 7th okay. is uh, NXT TakeOver in your house. So it's they got a couple of weeks to build this up. And apparently, which is nice, they're going to be having this at full sale as opposed to the Performance Center. So they'll have a, their, well, their old venue, but you know what I'm saying, a bigger venue. So they got they have three weeks of television to get this to do a little bit more. I, I mean, I me personally, I probably would have drug it out a little longer, but... I mean, it's NXT. They know what the hell they're doing over there. So who the hell am I to say anything? <laughs> I'm sure it'll yeah. be great. Uh, 
<laughs> we never say that about a certain other uh, entity <laughs> within wrestling. Never give them that type of benefit of the doubt. Uh, anyways, um, so a, a video package recap the Cruiserweight tournament so far, and it's still kind of confusing, but I get it at the same time. I wish I had the picture of the, the bracket, but... Uh, the only people that were eligible on one side was El Hilo del Fantasma and Akira Tozawa. Both were two and one. And whoever won that obviously would be three and one and would win that bracket. The other side pretty much obviously at the end of it ended up tying it uh, so that it was three ways. And then we're going to have a three way match. But we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, we had a damn good match with El Hilo del Fantasma and Akira Tozawa. Um, just, I, I'm assuming these guys have worked together because they really had great chemistry. It was a lot of great lucha libre and gr- a lot of great Japanese, you know, high flying wrestling mixed in. Um, and I enjoyed the match. Uh, Phantasma won. He won his side, and I, I, I said it's going to be Kushida and Phantasma. I'm not so sure about that anymore with Drake Maverick. I don't know, um, but I thought it was a damn good match. Um, Man, these guys just beat the shit out of each other. That move that Phantasma does where he basically kind of does – he doesn't do a gorilla press slam, but he pushes them while he's up on the turnbuckle and lets them just fall on the top turnbuckle. Just looks devastating. And Akira Tozawa is a damn good wrestler. We had another segment afterwards, though, where you know Phantasma caught up to Akira before he was leaving, said that you know he appreciated him. And um, he thinks he's an amazing wrestler, and he has a lot of heart. And you know, it was it was, it was nice. It was I thought it was a sportsmanship. Obviously, it was another segment where the Luchadors came, tried to attack. By the time that Phantasma could get out to help Akira, because they were blocking the door, they got the hell out of there. So, still curious what's going on. Um, they didn't take Akira, so that was just a message towards Phantasma. And I wonder if that's going to happen during the the final match. Um, if that that interference is going to cause them to match or something, but. Like I said, everything the Cruiserweight, they're good matches, man. It goes back to the Cruiserweight Classic. It goes back to if you watch 205 Live, you know, the matches are always solid. Uh, Chris, how would you like the match between Akira and uh, El Fantasma? I thought it was great. I mean, all of these matches, Akira specifically, all of his matches have been really good during this tournament. But th- this, they did have, like, a really good chemistry in the ring. I had to drive the point home from last week, but... They didn't do a good job of putting over how important this match is <laughs> as the announcers. It's like they're almost scared nope. to talk about the tournament. <laughs> like, uh, it to me, that is like the, the the whole thing about this tournament that's been frustrating is the lack of the announcers putting it over and explaining to us what is happening. Like last week, we came to the conclusion. We did end up coming to this conclusion that the only way you could win this bracket was if you were two and one just because of the outcome of everything. But, like, I, I didn't know that it was going to end in a three-way in the other bracket just because no one told me. And I haven't, like I said, had time to put together a spreadsheet. So, I mean, obviously, because we go we we go and we read and we listen to other podcasts and shit that talk about this, we know now. <laughs> but, like, at the time when he won the match, I, was, I still was unsure that, like, he was in the final. Dude, I had no idea what was going on until they threw um, Byron Saxon out there after the second match, and he kind of like briefly explained it. And I was like, "You guys couldn't tell any of this during commentary? Nothing?" Mamma mia, baby. Mamma mia. Mamma 
Mia! <laughs> Bull! It's, it's better to tell me what's going on in the tournament than to be overly excited about the Cruiserweight match. Like, the, the thing is, is I love the excitement to some extent, but also there should be a reason why you're so excited. And I feel like they've yeah. kind of missed the boat in this entire tournament on commentary. And maybe that's like, I don't know. I don't know who makes that call of what they're supposed to be talking about on commentary in NXT. I just think that they did a piss poor job throughout this entire tournament. And it was a good way to do what they did with the Cruiserweight Classic by having someone like Daniel Bryan come in and talk about how important winning this thing is. Like, that's what made those great part partly is they it, it gave it that kind of feel that there's there's an importance to this tournament not just like you get a gimmick at the end if you win no and i agree with you and unfortunately with and, and you know i am a fan of maranalo i i've liked him throughout a lot of different things that he does boxing pride back in the day uh but in this type of situation i think he does I mean, they tried to have Todd Phillips up there, but they were like, I think he was like, guys, I can't fucking say anything. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people are going to give me shit for saying this, and I, I think you'll agree with me, is that Michael Cole might get a lot of crap, but he's able to get the information of what's going on, you know, with every the, the details, basically. You know, that would be his role. That would be what Todd Phillips would try to do, but, you know, instead you have Byron Saxon, who's kind of like the fumbly baby face jokester that that gets in arguments with they don't have a heel guy person on and it basically beth phoenix gets drowned out the whole entire time she tries to get stuff in there but morrow just takes it over and we kind of don't get those details until they send byron saxton in, in an awkward segment after a match to tell us what the hell's going on so yeah more morrow is like 1997 jr but turned up to 11 all the time yeah and jr <laughs> knew how to like calm down at certain parts you know well at least give you the information like what what why is this important that, i mean that's the that's the key is it's it's good to be you know this great like big moment announcer and have these big moments where you can yell mama me and, and like gargano flies off a ladder or some shit like that's cool but like when you're doing something like a tournament especially basically a wins loss record tournament you need to explain to the fans what the fuck's going on and that's really the only thing i've disliked about nxt <laughs> over the past month so you know i don't feel bad about saying that i put pretty much everything else over on the show <laughs> no i don't blame you man i mean it makes complete sense and uh i i do i do agree with you um but let's move on and uh get to our next uh, part Timothy Thatcher challenged Matt Riddle to a match um, that can only be won by knockout and submission. It's going to be a cage match. Uh, Matt Riddle would uh, accept it later on, um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get the two of them in a cage, you know, with only knockout or submission. Uh, I love the fact, and I guess you can kind of apply this towards when Roddy beats um, with uh, Dexter Loomis later on, they always call it like a cheap win when it's a roll-up. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know how you can make that a complaint. Like, no, they fucking pinned you. That's 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 it's not cheap. It's that's that's how it is. They held your body and they pinned your ass. But either way, you know, I'm looking forward to a match with Timothy and Matt Riddle in a cage. And I did like the outcome of what happened afterwards. Uh, and we'll talk about that uh, with Loomis and uh, Rodney. But um. How did you like? How did you like this, Chris? 
Well, I mean, they just went with like the classic dusty finish to set up that that match. So uh, I thought it was pretty good. I think it's entertaining just those two together in general, even though they're like obviously not a tag team anymore. It's more for the reason that anything can come out of this match. And hopefully it's the storyline that that I've been pushing, which is you get Pete Dunn versus Timothy Thatcher coming in to defend his bro, which would just be awesome. I can't agree more, man. I can't agree more. Um, I definitely want to see the Brozier White. The, did we miss a match, though? No, we didn't. My my notes. My bad. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't wait to see the uh, the Brozier White um, tangle it up with Timothy Thatcher over the love of Matt Riddle. I think that will just be great. He should be in a shark tank or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um. How did you like the Shotzi Blackheart uh, little, uh, you know, vignette? I, I loved it. I love the tank girl aspect. I, I think she's a badass. Sang her two loves are fucking punk rock and wrestling. Um, she's she's awesome. And she said she's coming for Dakota Kai, basically, because uh, her and her partner basically look at her, like, you know, down upon her because of her green hair. So, But I, I, I think she's got a lot of fire, and I, I think this is a good um, – vignette to kind of throw her back in the mix and i i really think she's going to be one of the bigger um female wrestlers uh in the next like year in nxt yeah i mean she has something kind of different that they haven't had on that roster in a while um more of like a punk i mean since like i guess nikki cross who nikki cross there wasn't really this either i guess you would have to go back to what ruby riot maybe yeah she kind of fills a gap uh, I love the fact that it's like a tank girl gimmick and they didn't try to put like a Harley Quinn type deal or, or something on her because this is basically her gimmick from a ball um, turned up a bit like crushing shit with a tank. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, like basically talking about parallels of punk rock and wrestling, which is which is cool. I mean, she it's the it's kind of the page mold. They do a good job with building that. And I could definitely see her being a huge star because she is different than check out how athletic these girls are. They're former MMA or, you know, Japanese superstars. It's kind of a different vibe on, on this show. And I think different is what makes the, the women's division in NXT so special Um, and different styles, different looks, different everything. And uh, talking about women, a part of this, we had a match with Mia Yim. She went against Santana Garrett. Uh, She beat her pretty Pretty relatively quickly, they had they had a short match. That wasn't really the the heart of it. Uh, Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae entered and sarcastically congratulated Yim, then mocked her about her loss to Charlotte Flair. They said LeRae uh, would have defeated Flair if she was given the opportunity, and they would show Yim what happens in the NXT when someone gets an opportunity they don't they don't deserve. Um, they basically kind of. Made it go one way, and then Johnny Gargano kind of held the ropes, made her fall out, and he started laughing. Um, uh, Keith Lee came and saved him uh, from the attack, and the pair faced off, and Gargano and LeRae uh, fleed. Um, by the way, I don't know if they're going to go over it or not, but they might as well, but Keith Lee and, and, and Mia Yim are in a relationship. So I guess they're doing some type of – I'm assuming a takeover It's going to be – a intergender match between the two of them. I don't like this thing with fucking Gargano. And I, I just, I, I honestly, this is lowering Gargano's stock the more he does this. Him, like, repeating everything she said and acting like a fucking idiot didn't really help. 
on their way out there. Um, him kind of, you know, laughing about, you know, hurting. I don't know. It's just not working for me at all. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. And I wish that Candice, when I first saw Candice in a match, it was a match against the Young Bucks with her and Jerry Ryan. It's a classical one where she got fucking smashed open. Her face was bleeding and she was still fighting like a goddamn warrior. And to see her kind of just be, even in a baby face sense or now in a heel sense, I forgot what they're calling her, like the pink pixie or whatever. It's fucking stupid. Pixie of punishment, <laughs> some 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 dumb, really, it sounds like a Triple H-ism or some shit. Um, to see her go, it's she's just her Johnny Gargano's wife. It doesn't matter. She's not her own person. And if you want to present her as a wrestler and be able to show off her badass wrestling, which is the best aspect about her, because other stuff, even this heel stuff, it's fine, but it's, I mean, she's kind of like, her significant other, but they should be separated a bit and not just paired together. And I don't think this is working, especially since there are a bunch of pairings between couples now in the fucking company of NXT. It's just not working for me. Um, I'm sure this will be a fun match, though. But like I said, especially Johnny in particular is just he's he not convincing. Uh, Chris, what do you think? I mean, they did a whole lot for Santa. Tana Garrett to get beat <laughs> at the beginning shit. of that match. <laughs> like, this shit went like 73 seconds. <laughs> it was it was a very short match. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think the thing is, is she there to make Gargano heal and get him over as a heel, or is she there to be her own entity? Because the way they're setting it up is this, she's there to be her own entity. But she doesn't have the same name recognition or value as, say, Johnny Gargano in NXT. So when you when you put them together, you they you it's like you're 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 doing the opposite. In, in theory, you'd want to keep them apart so that she could build her name separately. Putting them together, unless he was already established as a heel or was having a real heel run, and then she was a manager or something, then maybe it would make a little more sense wrestling sense uh, it's not working for me either i mean i'm sure there's people out there that, that like it i like candace LeRae as a wrestler and performer i don't necessarily like this storyline or, or gimmick and i think i think we went over this last week too but so i mean it's not terrible it's just you could do different things with both of these athletes and i would think it would be better um and to some extent gargano is just kind of gonna always overshadow her and it's partially the company's fault for driving home the fact that she's his wife and put putting her in all of these classic NXT feuds with Ciampa uh, and Gargano and now you're trying to pull the trigger and make her this uh, like a big deal but to me the only way to do that is to completely separate them to me it's it's keeping her on neutral as as like an aspect of not caring and with him it's making me dislike him like and he used to be one of the top guys in NXT, and it's like God, oh, God, Johnny's here, and Ugh. it's just like him in the wrong way. Yeah, it's ex Focky. Yeah, I hate yeah. that term, but it, it's Corb. It's it's a Baron Corbinism. <laughs> Baron Corbinism. Um, but no, I mean, all, like all joking aside, like I like Argeno a lot. I just don't think that he's very good at being a heel and. These past three weeks haven't really shown me anything that's going to change my mind on that. 
and then throwing a tag like basically making him Candice LeRae's manager isn't really helping either. I agree. Um, we had two segments. We had Cameron Grimes cutting a promo about him defeating Finn Balor. Going to be there, everybody. Woo! Doing a whole bunch of that shit. Uh, I like Cameron Grimes, though. But I'm glad he got a win over Balor. And the, and the way they did it, it makes sense and uh, kind of projects him. And he's a fun he's a fun wrestler, especially in the ring. Uh, and then Drake Maverick cut a damn good promo about the Cruiserweight Tournament. Drake's been on fire. I have no idea if he got his job back and now they're doing all this. Or if this is really him on the last legs and has a possibility of, you know, being furloughed or what, I have no idea what the hell the details are. But whenever he he's he's basically maximizing his minutes when he is on, he is giving everything because even if he's leaving, he's going to make a mark on the last part, the last endeavor, if you will, in NXT uh, with WWE. So I like uh, both these promos. Uh, how'd you like them, Chris? I, I- so this brings up an interesting question before I get into just the promos themselves. Was this taped? Because originally in I that video, he said there he was. He said he only had three matches left, and he's already had those three matches because it's a it was a best of four. Yeah. Tournament. So they've been back. live. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so I guess he is just there. <laughs> like. I don't know. They haven't came out and just publicly said that. Like maybe they saw, maybe they were like, "Well, we can use you for a little bit longer." But yeah, maybe the reception of of what happened online and from his, you know, his reaction, WWE's like, "Oh, we can use this and, and and milk it until he's gone or something." I mean, I could totally see Vince thinking like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think the weird thing about that is. He, I mean, he did say he had three matches left, which I think that was at the beginning of the tournament. So maybe it does line up the way that I think it's lining up. But even if it was after his first match, that would still we know what happens at the end because we talked about it earlier. Like, <laughs> is well, he well, you know what? <laughs> no, actually, now that you're mentioning this, if, if he's real about that, he's two and one because it was three different people, Kushida, him and um I forgot the third person, but they all had two and one, um, which is the reason why they're having that three-way match next week. So he's had two matches. I guess the next one would be the the quote-unquote third match. Which would make sense because I don't necessarily think that they're going to put – I mean, unless they've changed their mind. But it's just weird because it is – I mean, we know that they had taped some matches. That's why I'm confused it's on what's taped. Weird. And maybe maybe that's why the fucking commentary is weird too. I, I don't know. It's – in any case, uh, yeah, it was a great Drake Maverick promo, especially when you couple it with his video about how much he loved and has always wanted to wrestle at this company. <laughs> like, it's just really going to be sad if this is his last little hurrah. Because of what, what did he job. say? He he put over Kushida so well. He was like, Kushida, he's a technical madman. He's an aerial madman. Last time I looked, I'm not Bret Hart. I, I just I, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> You know, it's like he's going out. He's Rocky. He's Rocky right now, you know? Yeah, I mean, his back is against the wall. I mean, the smart money would be you have him win because Kushida's not going anywhere. Um, you could just have Kushida win later on if you wanted to go that route. Um, but I don't know. I think there's something kind of special about Drake Maverick they've missed on for a long time. Even going back to TNA, he kind of can play that goofy heel character or just have really good matches. And now that you have a whole division built 
around guys that are kind of like Drake Maverick. I know he's a smaller guy, but it's, I, I don't know. With the steam that came off of that video and then Triple H's kind of reaction to it, I would assume that you just re-sign this guy and maybe get rid of some other dead weight in your company because I feel like it would be good for your cruiserweight division because he, he, he definitely is like a bright star in that cruiserweight division. Um, I thought that was going to be Angel Garza, but they you know, obviously moved him up to the uh, main roster way quicker than I thought they did, and I thought it was going to be a Leo Rush, but the, he's gone. So, like, who are you going to – you're going to build it around Kushida, but Kushida's not a promo. So you're going to yep. have to build it all around match quality, whereas, like, someone like Drake Maverick, you're telling us the story, even if he loses next week, you can build off that if you keep him around. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I like the promo a lot, and uh, I <laughs> I want to say I liked the Cameron Grimes promo, but, like, I have no idea where he was or what's going on. But I think I liked it overall. It was a little. <laughs> Everyone's in the woods now, Dane. <laughs> I think it's he was just... trying to find a date at the farm. That's what it looked he... like. <laughs> I thought he was looking for uh, murder hawks and and Jake the Snake's house <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Maybe he's trying oh, to find God. the remnants of uh, that house that Randy Orton burnt down. <laughs> Man, right over here, if you looked over here, Randy Orton burnt down the damn Bray White House. <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm getting a little, uh, <laughs> I'm getting a little tired of people going into the woods week after week. We don't need it anymore. We don't On need you woods <laughs> folk up in this bitch. All right. But I mean, so like, the next, oh, I, I what guess, are you going to say? I, I mean, the biggest thing about him is I don't know what his character is. I like him. <laughs> it's almost like. It's just weird watching the promo because, I mean, the promo itself is just it was just basically like, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> I'm going to beat Finn Balor's ass. But, like, why is he in the woods? <laughs> it's like you t- if you take Huck Finn, but, like, he fell off the top tree and hit every branch on the way down. That's that's Cameron Grant. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> He's Huck Finn. Just with so, yeah, concussions. I, I, I want to get it over that, like. I, he's a good promo, and I mean, he just did like basically an 80s wrestling promo here. It's just like there's no explanation of why he's just wandering around in the woods. I don't know. He looks like a small Bigfoot. Maybe he's relayed the Sasquatch. Um, but yeah, uh, Roderick Strong won against Dexter Loomis. Uh, this is a good match, actually. Um, I love Roddy's work. Uh, I've said this, I think, probably a million times, and I, I'm sorry for repeating myself, but. The way he throws punches, the way he throws kicks, the way he throws people into the the, the turnbuckle, his bat, his his uh, backbreakers, uh, his Russian leg sweeps, the way he does everything, he's a lot more stiff. Reminds me so much of Bret Hart. It's ridiculous. Um, and it, this was a whole thing where it was cat and mouse because Dexter Loomis, who stylistically reminds me a lot of Jake the Snake, not personality wise, but but the things he's got Jake isms. But Dexter was basically stalking Roddy throughout the whole entire thing. Roddy would take advantage of something, come back a little bit, and then start getting his ass kicked. And he basically did a – I don't know what the roll-up is, but it was a way – there was no way for him to get out of it, basically. So he got it by the skin of his teeth. But instead of like most people who would be pissed off about it, Loomis didn't give a shit. Roddy exited the ring and is just chilling on the apron, and Loomis creeps up and starts choking him. Uh, with the kata, kata gagana, 
I think it's called, or whatever, the fucking chokehold, basically. And he, he choked him out until he was sleeping and then was just holding him. And then the Undisputed Era came out, and Bobby Fish and Adam Cole are trying to kick him in the face, and he's not moving, he's not budging. And then the Velveteen Dream comes out of nowhere, takes out both uh, both uh, Bobby Fish and Adam Cole, and throughout the whole entire time is posing in the background, rips off his shirt, and Dexter Loomis still has Roderick Strong just, you know, holding him, caressing him, and stroking his hair. I, I, I'm, I'm going to call this the Dream and Creep Connection, is what I'm going to call it, um, until they give it something else terrible. I think, I think, I really hope it's not their name, but more, more now I'll try to say, like, the, the extremely odd couple. Don't go with that. But either way, I, I like the pairing. It's fucking weird. Uh, I like that the Undisputed Era now has, pe- like, like, a legitimate threat with this character of Dexter Loomis. He keeps on, you know, captivating me. He's good at his punches. I'm not going to say that he's, like, fluid, especially, like, Roddy or anything like that. But he looks he looks pretty legit of, of, of someone to be scared of. And the way he moves is kind of like a horror movie character. So I'm down. I, I loved uh, Roddy, how he performed of, of being scared about it the whole entire time. I really like this part, if you can't tell. Um, Chris, how would you like this match? Is Roderick Strong, like, the most underrated person on this entire fucking roster, honestly? Wrestling-wise, man, I think so. He's definitely one of them. <laughs> he's great and he was great they, they had a really good match like this is a really really fun match and i like the fact that um you know i was like I, I think dexter loomis is kind of a different character where the wins and losses don't matter as much and i think i said that last week in, in with a comparison of like with killer cross he has to win kind of murder thing and i think they proved that here because like loomis came out of this still looking like a million bucks even though he lost right <laughs> That's the crazy part is it's almost easy to forget that he lost the match, which is that's that's the good thing. Um, the pairing between him and Dream, <laughs> I think it's it's cool, and I want to see what they do with it. I I Mario is really trying to nail us over the head with Dexter the TV show references. Like I think he made a Dark Passenger reference and a few yeah. other things throughout the. Uh, but I mean that's they're telling him yeah you know, that's something that they would tell you to do. Like get the get the nickname over or whatever get get it get over the fact that he is basically Dexter. Um, so it's going to be intriguing to see where they go. But yeah, I don't I don't know what the hell we're going to do with Velveteen Dream out of this because yeah, you would think that Dexter Loomis has to kill him. <laughs> like, um, I like the idea of Loomis slowly picking away at the undisputed error so i, I mean i kind of talked about that last week so i hope they they go that route where he's it's kind of teaming with velveteen dream but it's for the bigger purpose of picking away this group one at a time if they act like roddy's legit like hurt in the hospital and then he goes after say bobby and then somehow like they do a segment where he he actually you know say say adam's all freaked out and they do another one of those segments where he's talking to um uh what the hell's the fourth member Man, it's, he's been a, it's been a while since he's been on uh, the NXT that I forgot his name. Kyle O'Reilly. So he's talking to Kyle O'Reilly, and you see Dexter Loomis in the background, and he takes out Kyle O'Reilly, and it's literally just Adam Cole left. I think that would be a lot of fun. Just do every horror movie element. You know, it's, it's hard not to kind of compare and contrast him and Killer Cross, but Killer Cross is a beast. He is, you know, he's someone that's going to take you out in a physical sense, like within the ring, tear you apart. 
Like it's a different type of monster. Uh, this guy, I don't know. I, I think that he wants to choke you out and then take you on a date or some shit. Like he's, he's creepy. He's fucking creepy. Like I said, the dreaming creep connection, Chris. And, and I mean, right now he's a baby face, which makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, weird shit. But I, I, I like it. I, I hope that this is that is the game plan is to just surgically take apart the undisputed air until it's just him and Adam Cole. There's no God, there's not gonna be any interferences. Don't have to do some kind of gimmick cage match. It's just gonna be I literally killed all of your friends. <laughs> now we're gonna have our match. Which I think is a great storyline that they have to my knowledge haven't done at least in the last ten ten plus years i mean you know austin would do this to vince's people but those were like lackeys not actual wrestlers hey don't you call the mean street posse lackeys chris they're from the mean streets yeah uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> I was um, more I was more referring to people that matter like Sergeant Slaughter, Pat Patterson, Jay Briscoe. <laughs> poor Pat Patterson got his fuck. They just got would get knocked to hell by a bunch of potatoes from Steve Austin. It's so great. Um, but yeah, this is this is definitely one of my favorite things about what's going on in XT, and uh, it's it's interesting because you can even have an aspect where the relationship with him and Dream. You don't really know where it's going, kind of like what we said. But Dream keeps the last time he was fucked over because of the NXT, like the other members of Undisputed Era. And we're, we're we're saying this: take them out for a personal gain for Loomis. What if Loomis takes all of them out and lets Dream actually have a match with Adam Cole? He gets the belt, and it was all a swerve for whatever reason. Loomis just immediately attacks Dream uh, and starts a feud with him. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different things they can do with this. Well, I mean, they could if they if the, if the idea is he's going to be a heel, he could help Velveteen through all of this while single-handedly still picking these people apart, and then at the very end, just turn on Velveteen Dream and injure him in the same way. And now he's the guy that's fighting Adam Cole. Like that could be yep. your swerve if you yep, want to go that, that route, or or you could go the other route where he gets the championship and you're going to do the Mick Foley rock and sock friendship thing, and then nope, Dream, <laughs> Dream just, fucks him over. You you have a you have a a couple of different storylines and it really depends on if, if they're if they're if he's a heel or a baby face. Right now we don't know. But I think that's good for his character at this point in time. Oh, I completely agree with you. All right. Um so we had uh, a match with uh British uh Bob Holly and um Boston Crash Holly, also known as Oni Lorkin and Danny Birch, going against Everrise. I mean, it was one of their matches where it's like I said, sometimes they're used as like these guys that hit hard, beat the living shit out of you, but they're still kind of like the guys that will take the loss. And this time I knew whenever Rice came out, oh, man, you guys are going to get your ass kicked. And they did by submission fairly quickly. Right afterwards, we had a promo with Keith Lee uh, about Johnny Gargano kind of pierce uh, piece that together. And we already talked about Matt Riddle uh, accepting the challenge from Thatcher. So how did you like the match with um, Lorcan and Birch going against Everize, Chris? Well, I mean, I kind of had the same feeling as you. It's like, okay, well, these guys are just about to get their ass whipped <laughs> just because they do get used kind of in those scenarios. But the match itself was pretty solid. 
Um, and who did the promo afterwards? I'm blanking now. I'm Keith Lee on Gargano. Oh. Yeah, it was fine. I think I'm just <laughs> stale. I think I'm just stale on the. I, I, not enough basking in the glory of Keith Lee this week, I guess. I, I just kind of remember it being okay. And I think it's just because I'm soured on the whole Gargano thing in general. It's not really Keith Lee's fault. Let's bring Keith Lee down now. Ugh. Oh, yeah, yoy. So we had the other interim uh, Cruiserweight Championship tournament match. Drake Maverick going against Kushida. This was an awesome match. Uh, Drake's not bad wrestler, but Kushida can make anyone look fucking amazing. And um, went back and forth. I've There's several times where I thought that Drake was going to either tap out or he was done. But he got Kushida right at the end, Rocky style, with a roll-up. Drake Atlas came to support Maverick, who had been... You know, shown as being friends with him before outside of this. Uh, and at the end of it, all three of them were there. All of them are two and one now within the tournament on their bracket. And Byron Saxon entered and delivered a message that from William Regal that because all three of them are two and one, that they will have a triple threat match on next week uh, to find out who goes against uh, El Hilo del Fantasma in the tournament final, which I'm assuming will be at TakeOver. Uh, but that's going to be a good match. Chris, I'll just flat out ask you, do they keep the Drake Maverick story going? I, I, no offense to Jake Atlas, but I really think that he's just the third person. He could probably be the person to take the pin. But he's he just got here, and he's shown off, and he's awesome. And I think we're going to see a lot of great things from him. But to me, this is a two-horse race between Drake Maverick and Kushida. So they, do they go Kushida against Del Fantasma, or does Drake Maverick actually win? Oh, I mean, he's the little engine that could, so I kind of want to cheer for Drake Maverick to win this, but the end game is to get Phantasma over to whatever this Lucha storyline is, right? Yeah. So if they stick with their original plan, um, I'm assuming that, you know, Kushida wins, and it doesn't really matter who wins this match. Phantasma is going to win at the end. I feel like if Drake if Drake Maverick wins, now you kind of have to have him win the whole thing. He's like the underdog babyface. <laughs> it's like the Rey Mysterio storyline, basically. Like he, he kind of came out of nowhere, had this very compassionate promo online after getting fired, and then had these other good promos. And now you're in a situation where you kind of booked it so that if he does win this match, people are going to want to see him win it all. And it, if he doesn't, it's going to hurt Fantasma. Like, you could easily see the crowd maybe turn against a guy with a storyline like that. And that's not where you want to be. So, yeah, this one's sketchy just because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, because one guy is technically fired, as far as we know. Yeah, it's it's awkward. And when I, th- I thought I mean, you said the, the Rey Mysterio, I, I thought you meant like, you know, we're going to find out that uh, Eddie Guerrero got his um, wife knocked up a long time ago. They have an illegitimate child that he thought was his. <laughs> no, no, it was more going with like first in last out Royal Rumble underdog then wins the title. Like after never have wanting a heavyweight title before with Drake Maverick, it's never winning a title in this company before as far as I'm aware because he just came in as the commissioner's 205 Live, and then he was a manager for, God, was it AOP? 
They made him piss himself on TV. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> so, like, he is kind of the ultimate underdog in this tournament with everything going on. Uh, but, yeah, like, do you agree with me if, if they do this and he wins this match but then just loses at the end? Do you think they run the risk of the crowd just turning against whoever beat, like, Phantasma beating him? Well, um, yeah. Obviously, the crowd is not there, but obviously, you mean, like, fans watching the whole entire fucking spectacle. Yeah, that's that's going to sour people. Um, you know, and Phantasma technically does have a storyline that doesn't have to be with the title and still can develop as a character. It seems like it makes a lot of sense to have Drake. I can't believe I'm saying this, but to have Drake get the win, not over Kushida, but have have him beat, um, what's his name, Jake Atlas. So Kushida has an out. He can be used in the future. And then have him beat Phantasma. Phantasma has his storyline set up, and now Drake Maverick is your champion to go against, uh, what's his name, um, uh, the British. Or not, he's not British, he's Irish. The Irish ace. Uh, Jordan Devlin in the future. Um, I'm down for that. I'm definitely down for that. But it, I could see this also being between Phantasma and Kushida, who's arguably their two best new cruiserweights. They're, they're, they're hot new cruiserweights. And, uh, you know, going between one of them. I don't know. But it's the same thing with the rest of their cruiserweights. They don't have, like, I love Kushida because I watched him in New Japan as part of a tag team. But, yes. like... For your average TV viewer or even wrestling fan, you could appreciate the work, but like at some point you do want that additional storyline. I don't know that Kashida is the guy that's going to give it to you, and Phantasma may not be either. Whereas that's what the cruiserweight division's been starving for is to someone with a personality to take the ball and run with it. Because you haven't had that since Aries and Neville, and even to some extent, uh, <laughs> what the real one? What's his fucking name? Enzo Amore. Enzo Amore. Like, they haven't had a big personality and like to be the top guy and make the no. title important, you do have to have this. And at least they have a storyline kind of built in with Drake where you could do that. Um, at least to some extent. And it, there's tons that you could revisit Kushida. You could revisit Atlas and Devlin, obviously. And you could still at the end of the day, have Phantasma win the damn thing like a month later. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And also another person I want to still see in this picture because of his performance, is Tozawa. I don't want him to all of a sudden just go away. That's no offense to Tony Nese or Drake or uh, uh, whoever was the other guy. Oh, man, I forgot. Jack Gallagher. You know, guys that have been a part of 205 Live in the Cruiserweight division for a long time. But I think Tozawa has proven himself that he can – I don't know. I would grab him in that stable at MVP if I was – the one thing I, I did not notice until they showed us is that Tozawa speaks perfectly good English. So it's kind of even funnier how they haven't, like, given him a chance since he's such a, a shiny baby face as well. Didn't mean to throw him randomly back in the mix, but I was very impressed by his performance in this tournament. Yeah, I think he had some of the best matches, like him and Kushida, obviously. But, uh, like, week week to week, they were part of, the to me, the best matches of the, the Cruiserweight tournament. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Atlas, Cheetah, Maverick, and then Riddle and Thatcher in the cage will be on next week's episode of NXT. Two fire-ass matches I'm very excited about. We had Damian Priest cut a promo on Finn Balor. 
that's going to be another awesome match, I think, uh, that they'll announce for TakeOver in your house. And uh, also, like I said, Champa and Cross officially announced for in your house. Um, any comments on any of that before we get to the main event, Chris? No, I mean, uh, I think you summed it up pretty well. And we've already I- talked about most of these feuds earlier, so... I'm very, very curious about Damian Priest and Finn Balor. I think that should be a good match. It's good to see the guys not have to be paired with the same size person, you know? I think that is going to be a surprisingly good match because Finn seems to, to me, almost work better with larger opponents, which is weird. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how that thing plays out because I still feel like you need Finn to win. Um, And that sucks for Damian Priest, but... Yeah, it. I think that might be a surprising match. There's going to be a lot of good shit on that show. Yeah. So I'm not going to go out there on a limb and say it might be match of the night, but uh, <laughs> it'll be a really good match for sure. And, I mean, judging, I think we're going to have an th- awesome three-way for the fucking championship uh, between Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai and Charlotte Flair from what played out with – with the main event, Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai, it ended in a no contest. But before that happened, these ladies <clears throat> who have never worked together, that was announced uh, by Beth Phoenix uh, at one point, they beat the shit out of each other. They were awesome. They had great chemistry. They were all over the place. Io Shirai is such a treat to watch visually, and I am very impressed of, of, of watching her start off as a very, very – just cooker cutty babyface do that really well, be such a great in-ring performer, and then transition herself into an awesome, scary, freaky, weird, you know, like Japanese horror movie character heel that she does. And, um, yeah, so at the end of it, Charlotte came to observe. Someone got knocked into her. Um, Io Shirai pushed Rhea Ripley into her. Uh, so Charlotte at one point came in the, in the match and, you know, it kind of sucked that it abruptly ended because they had a good match, but she did a big boot to Io and then speared Rhea Ripley, leaving her two opponents in the ring. Like I said, this is just setting up for three-way, and I'm, it, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. If it doesn't, then maybe I'm crazy. But if that does happen, that's going to be another awesome fucking match at In Your House. So uh, how'd you like this last match? And then how'd you like the ending with Charlotte Flair? I mean, because we've been basically saying it's somehow going to turn into a three-way for a long time, so I don't have a huge problem with it. I think the writing was kind of on the wall there. I th- the problem I would have is if Charlotte somehow walks out champion. I think that if they get in, go in there and have a, a like a really good match, and Rhea walks out champion or Io walks out champion, I'll be fine with it. I don't know that I Charlotte doesn't necessarily. She's really needed on Raw <laughs> right now. Fuck being honest, because uh, somebody's got to fill the massive hole Becky just left in that division. But uh, and, and I think either Rhea or Io could definitely be a champion here. And this match was fucking awesome. And uh, Io, I, I, the way you said it, it's like once they let her be a heel and just kind of booked her how she should be booked, she's been phenomenal. Um, but so is Rhea Ripley. So. Just those two have their own storyline built in that doesn't need Charlotte. So I kind of like it being a three-way. We get it out of the way. It's not drug out. Um, and normally I hate three-way matches, but this one will probably be pretty good. Yeah, this one I have hopes to be a good three-way match because normally they do kind of suck. 
Um, all right, let's go over Dynamite. Okay, so the show opened with the Inner Circle arriving at Daly's place in a stretch limo. Uh, Jericho bragged that what they did to Vanguard 1 is nothing compared to what they're going to do to the Elite. I forgot the name of the guy that does that does the interviewing, but it was so funny because all of them were like, shut up, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, while passing him and just Chris <laughs> Jericho seems like he's actually really tight with these guys. Like he's he's made it a point to make them kind of his posse and to hang out with them. And uh, it they just have good chemistry together. They look like especially him, Jake and Sammy. I'm sure LAX is is, is cool, too, with them, but. They just all seem like they like each other, basically, and um, you know, it's it, it's good to see that. I, I like I like these guys. They're like, <laughs> it, it's it, it's such a farce version of like the NWO, but they're kind of like these cool, like Entourage meets the fucking NWO. That's the best way I think I can explain it. The show Entourage meets the NWO. But um, how'd you like them showing up and giving hell to what? I, I can't remember the announcer, but. Just you know, Alex Marvez. Thank you. Oh man, Alex yeah, Marvez. I, was, I had time to like wait until you finished to think of his damn name, so I had a little bit of an advantage there. <laughs> um, I liked it. It's hilarious, and like, you know, you did say. I, I think you pointed out a good point, which is like they are kind of like an entourage NWO. It's like a joking group, to to some extent. Like they're supposed to be this badass dominant group and now like none of them have titles but jericho is still one of the top guys le champion (laughs) still um it's i mean jericho has just been an absolute pleasure to watch and i would say as far as the people that are involved in this group i think he probably had a hand in picking on picking who he wanted to work with to some to some extent and uh lax they're not i mean their relationship doesn't show as much on screen, but like if you had to pick a badass tag team to be part of your group, like I don't know who you source. Well, now there's some names out there, like specifically now after the firings. But outside of uh, during the time period when they signed them to fit with this group, LAX is like the perfect fit as uh, like a dominant tag team. So I I love Inner Circle. Also, Chris Jericho released a single last week that was pretty good. Very eight like 80s thrash metal kind of thing surprisingly surprisingly yeah i love chris chris's stuff it's just a good rock throwback whatever he does all right so mr Brody lee came out with several of his followers including 10 who he ordered to take a knee lee then i like how he said he didn't take the i guess the the proper knee or whatever and he's like no i taught you the way to do it and he replaced himself really quick um Lee said that his people think he's uh, unrelatable, but he's just a man like anyone else, except that he operates as more elite level. Uh, then he sent 10 to the ring for the match and then left with the rest of the minions. Uh, John Moxley went against 10. They had a pretty good match. I don't know who this guy is, this 10 guy, but body-wise, physique-wise, good. In-ring stuff, good. Uh, too bad Moxley beat him <laughs> and then you know, threatened to break his arm with a uh, chair. He had two chairs, one wrapped uh, around his arm and the other one, uh, he was going to smash into it basically. And uh, he told Brody Lee to basically come out if he cared about him. Brody Lee came on the screen and let him know that he was leaving and he didn't give a shit. So Moxley uh, smashed the chair and screwed up Ten's arm. I guess he broke it or whatever. 
you know, the whole wrestling thing. I broke your arm in the chair. Um, but I thought all oh, this was really good. I'm just going to be honest with you, though. I really like Brody Lee. I don't know if the Mr. McMahon gimmick is going to help him too much longer. It's probably going to get stale. And I really wonder if he doesn't beat Moxley, what the fuck that's going to do for him uh, going forward. I don't know. I, I kind of have a couple doubts about it, to be honest with you. But I did like this match. I did like the setup. And, uh, yeah, uh, how'd you like it, Chris? I like Jim Ross selling it as saying the arm was mutilated in a way that only Jim Ross can say it. I was mutilated! <laughs> it was the best. Um, I think this gives a different aspect to Brody. Like, we know he he's kind of abusive, but now you see that he physically doesn't care um, about the people that are in this group, which could be his downfall with evil Uno. So if it's leading to something like that, that could be interesting. And then they could change his character from there. Like, I think this, the whole him being the leader and doing this gimmick is going to be more of a short term thing until they move him into something different. But the problem that they have is they have all of these big hosses like Wardlow and Luchasaurus, and they still have Brian cage in the, in the wings. And, um, <laughs> it's hard to have them all do killer gimmicks. Lance Archer's another one. And like, so for Brody to come in and kind of do this Vince McMahon thing, I think it is unique and definitely wasn't what I was expecting at all um, as far as how he's performed it so far. But uh, I like that he, he called you... him a, a special boy <laughs> in his promo. <laughs> <laughs> he did say that. Uh, Were you expecting Brody kind of like I kind of like, I guess, being some type of like evil type of satanic motherfucker or some shit and not. The, the Mr. Brody Lee character that he's doing? Like, what did you expect? I thought he was going to come in to be the guy that to beat Moxley just because he's like a Bruiser Brody-looking motherfucker and they were going to have him just be crazy. Oh. Hardcore and big. Yeah. That's what I thought they were going to do because that's who he always draws comparison to is like, he's like he looks like Bruiser Brody and he, you know, he's Brody Lee. <laughs> he's like a big fan of Bruiser Brody, so I thought they were going to bring him in to be like a hardcore wrecking ball to be the guy that finally accepts moxley's crazy hardcore challenge and actually wins because everyone that's done it so far moxley's essentially killed um but this is a different take on it and and it's it's good for me not to expect it i i I think that it could get stale if they keep pushing it home uh but seeing him let this guy just get (laughs) mutilated there's more that you can add to the story where you can see a darker side not just the funny vince isms but like a darker side of of this weird character like he doesn't actually give a fuck about any of these people so if they get slaughtered they get slaughtered kind of like a cult it gets more into the dark character that you're talking about more of a cult leader than just like this weird guy that's abusive to people all right all right i'm i'm, I'm down I, I like that um alex marvez interviewed john moxley later on who said that things are only going to get worse from here and he's going to put Brody Lee to sleep at Double or Nothing. It was a really good promo. I like Moxley. Um, I just want to know if he went to the same place to get his ear pierced that uh, Tony Schiavone did. That's what I was wondering. It's good to see John <laughs> Moxley get to that part of the Stone Cold transition of when Stone Cold was in 97 when he had both of his ears pierced. Sorry, I had to throw a couple of those out there because I noticed that. Anyways, um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, did you like the, did you like his uh, comeback 
And are you looking forward to this match between him and, and uh, Brody? We, we don't have to go into who's going to win because we're going to do that later on. But did you like his his uh, his his promo? I like I think his promos have been very good. Um, he's lost a little bit of steam since the Jericho thing. And I think that's just because of how Jericho, how over Jericho is. So maybe this is the match to put him back in the right direction. I feel like he needs an established start. Like, I think he needs MJF to some extent um, to really build this. I think maybe I'm not saying he's lost some steam, but to me, Dean's lost a little bit of steam in the past uh, two months or so since the Jericho thing. It's just because you expected a follow up on the Jericho thing and it, and it didn't really ever happen. And I don't think be- a lack of audiences like a month into it helped. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, he's kind of a weird care and he also wasn't there each week. So it's hard. It's hard to really tell. But to me, he's kind of lost a little bit of steam. He needs something. He needs like a real heel to latch on to. And maybe like to me, the guy that's the most established would be MJF. Or if you bring in yep. like someone like if Brian Cage finally shows up, that would be another guy maybe you could do something with. It's just that the Dark Order, even with Brody Lee being there and kind of making them a different thing, it took them so forever to get that over as not just being a joke to wrestling fans that it kind of, to me, it just puts, it's weird that he's getting a title shot right away. We'll say that. Yeah, and it also doesn't help that Stu Grayson and especially Evil Uno are stuck over in Canada and they can't come to the shows. So now it's just Brody Lee with the rest of the minions and the only one that we know a part of them is 10. And he got hurt. Yeah, and then that part's... I think they could do more video packages for... I mean, I thought the video packages that they've done have been pretty good, but there there should be a way where they're doing like video conferences if they're going to do full Vince McMahon. To keep Evil Uno in mind as like a possible threat down the line, um, but yeah, like with Moxley, it's more just they've just had him kick everybody's ass, and then he finally, you know, got beat up by a hill, and then just immediately did this destroy, destroyed this fucking guy's arm, and I'm assuming that he's just gonna beat Brody Lee at this pay per view. I don't see him taking the title off him. Yep, I agree with you. All right, so we had a very. Um... Unique altercation between two of the best guys on the mic, uh, two legends, Arn Anderson and Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, the Enforcer and the Snake have never met up in the ring, and they both represent, obviously, the opposite of this TNT tournament, with Jake representing the Murderhawk, and, of course, Arn Anderson being the coach of Cody. So... <laughs> This was fun. This was fun. I don't know what exactly happened. It seemed like there was a time period where Arn was signaling to Jake, like, hey, we need to wrap it the fuck up or something. Uh, but they went back and forth, and Tony just, like, looked <laughs> – Tony got attacked by Jake. That was such a funny part. But Tony just, like, chilled and let them talk, and they just talked shit to each other. Um, I think the biggest statement is when Jake made a comment about how – uh, about how he wishes that Brandy was presenting the belt or something like that so he could, like, get up on her again. Something really fucking creepy. Just like, Jake Roberts, man, he can get that damn heat. Uh, Aaron let him know that, that Mike Tyson will be surrounding the ring. So it sounds like they're kind of putting Mike in a very similar place that they put, or that WWF put him 
in 97 for the match. Like, he'll be the enforcer around the friggin' ring, making sure no one does anything. And uh, Arn, or, uh, Jake said that the Murderhawk would basically knock out Mike Tyson if that's what the way it needs to happen. And shit went to hell when Arn said, I want you to be real limber, so keep on doing that DDP yoga when I, so that you'll be limber when I spinebuster your ass and then shove your head where the sun don't shine. Real, real, real great stuff. Um, but yeah, then, of course, <laughs> Jake threw the fucking table. They got in each other's face. He pushed Tony Schiavone out of the way, and then they had to be split apart. But, um, you know, he, he ca- at one point, Jake did call uh, Arn Thick. Um, was that T-H-I-C-K or was that the other version of Thick? <laughs> I couldn't tell. Um, but how'd you like this? I mean, it's it, it's what it is. It was a little awkward, but it was fun to have two legends look like they just went out there and winged it. And, uh, you know, I think they did a pretty good job. I think I they did a good match. job. There's, they got into some free flow conversation and then hit a time limit, I think, is what happened, where Martin was like, oh, we got to wrap this up because – and I think this is a production thing to some point with AEW like we've seen in the past, which they've been better about. They did actually correct. Remember they would just like go to split screen randomly and stuff? And like, <laughs> yeah. What the, what, the, what the fuck? So they've gotten better about that. But, uh, yeah, I think in this situation that's just what happened. I mean you have two guys that are like really good talkers. Maybe you should have set out more time. Um, and not tried to squeeze them, but, uh, and, and for Jake specifically, he's like, he's kind of known for being the taped vignette guy, like with his interviews uh, same thing with Arn. like most of their good promos and shit were taped. Like, I think people forget that they did like wrestling didn't really start going live until 1995. So all that shit was taped anyways. Um, yeah. So getting used to that time with Arn experienced the tape shit, which is kind of what seemed like happening. He's like, oh, no, we're getting the signal. We got to like, we gotta get here to my punchline at the end so we can start this little feud. Um, so that's what and, and Arn also worked for WWE for forever. So I'm sure he understands how that shit works. But that's what seemed like happened. But I still thought it was a good back and forth. Um, I liked that they had like kind of all the boys from different sides, the heels and faces, like all piping in not just the people they had sitting around ring. It seemed like they brought everyone out because you got like a level of crowd noise. We haven't heard in a while, which I thought was uh, kind of cool. And uh, I also like that Jake put over Murderhawk as being able to knock out Mike Tyson because Murderhawk yeah. gives zero fucks. <laughs> and he did. And by thick, when Jake says it, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's thick. Uh, but uh, he was uh, he was great at being the creepy heel that Jake is. Such good shit. Oh, Arn only awesome. has to, all Arn has to say now is Spinebuster. By the way, he doesn't even have to promo anymore. It's just anytime he says Spinebuster, you just think about how good his Spinebuster is, and people pop. <laughs> but I, I want to see them each trade off DDTs. I think that makes more sense. But I do love Spinebuster. Yeah, all right, that so would, we have. So they've had Arn take a bump. Do you think he's getting a DDT? That was that's the that was gonna be my final question before we move on. It's very possible. Arn likes to take bumps every so often. He he did a spine buster, even though obviously it's someone else. But I mean, not too long ago at that um, what was that awesome pay per view from WCW that WWE pisses on and makes it a fucking house show now? Starcade. Uh, 
God, that's sad. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I think that Orange is going to take a bump. I think he's going to get a DDT from uh from Mr. Jake. But who knows? Because Mike Tyson's going to be there. So this is going to be a, it's it's I can't believe they got Tyson. That's actually pretty cool, especially given to you know the fact that he's becoming relevant again. Yeah. I, have you ever watched the Tyson murder mystery show or the mystery show that he's like the, the animated one? Yeah, the Scooby Doo one. <laughs> yeah, that shit's awesome. I love Mike Tyson now that he's not a crazy man committing crimes. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck you till you love me. What, Mike? All right. Um, we had two vignettes. We had Darby Allen in a really artsy video, uh, building up Saturday's uh, ladder match. It was him playing poker with a bunch of his quote-unquote friends, but they all had the person that he's going against. It's got very, very, very cool, dark vignettes. Um, the other one, not not saying I didn't like Darby's, I did, but with Pac, was awesome, I thought. He was basically saying that he's going crazy at his house, and he wants to destroy people, and he called out Orange Cassidy and said that he was a fool and that Phoenix would basically take care of him, but... You know, it, it kept on doing these little weird shaky things where he's in his normal outfit and then you would see like a flash of him in his trunks, but he has like a mask on. Um, but he told uh, he sent a message that Phoenix was going to assassinate Orange Cassidy. And um, I think that what he meant was Phoenix was going to assassinate himself because no one could catch him. But we'll get to that. Uh, How would you like these two vignettes? I like Darby Allen's a lot because it was very, like, vampire. It felt very vampire. Like, he's getting the comparison of Sting all the time, but this thing came off as, like, a vampire shit with fire and fucking... Uh, it was very weird. I like yeah. it. Uh, Pac, every time they put him in one of these vignettes scenarios, he kills it. Because remember the first one he did where he was just, like, outside of that random gym and it was filmed in black and white? Guy's such a good fucking promo. Like, I think that's the one of the most underrated things about Pac. He was so great as the the king uh, in in WWE. Um, but he's show he shows it here again, and I can't wait to see him come back because he has unfinished business with Moxley, Omega. Remember he like beat beat what he beat Omega right and then lost. So there's so many good mm-hmm. matchups they're gonna have when they get him back. And I just love him because of his believability, Chris. Like, don't get me wrong. I believe when people say that Macho Man Randy Savage was that intense, like not to the ninth degree like he did in his promos, but that was very much him. Like, I I have seen Neville on the ride-alongs. He seems like a very nice guy, but he projects such a freaky fucking intensity that you believe that he actually might be like that in real life, very similar to a Randy Savage type of concept. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the whole part of it. I don't know how he could ever go back babyface unless it's just like a Benoit scenario where we, the cards just line up, right? Just because of how intense. Like he does sound like he's just gonna rip you apart, and and his moves that kind of lends to that. Where now he's like hitting the high flying move, but then finishes with uh, his submission. I'm looking yeah, forward to it. seeing him back, and I like that they put those. I don't know if that was a teaser or not, but I like that they put Darby Allen and and Pac back to back because that would be a hell of a match and two Fuck completely yeah. different weird styles <laughs> like thrown together. But 
I like fuck yeah, give me that match. So down for that. All right, so then we have the match with Ray Phoenix and Orange Cassidy. This started. I kind of like it, but it was still kind of silly at the same time. So the week before, the reason why this match happened, obviously, is because Orange Cassidy was uh, watching the best friends, and out of nowhere, Ray Phoenix came out with a kick and just knocked him out. Well, he tried to do the same thing, but Orange Cassidy just slowly moved out of the way, and Ray Phoenix just went right past him and just kind of stopped and was like, I'm a fucking idiot. And Orange Cassidy just does his thing. He rolls in the ring. And they start off the match, and honestly, this might have been – I think this was my favorite match um, on AEW just because when he wants to be, Orange Cassidy is a damn good high-flying wrestler. That DDT spot that he does, it was so funny because it was just after another DDT spot that JR was like, I wonder how Jake feels about the fact that no one ever finishes – I guess he thinks that his DDT is the best or something like that. And then two seconds later, Orange Cassidy does another DDT to Ray Phoenix. But that's modern wrestling. And, uh, you know, that's just how it is. But it was it was it was fun. It was really competitive, surprisingly. And then Kip Sabian came out with a distraction by bringing a ladder to ringside and just sat at the top of it. They were, I get you know, trying to set up this ladder match. Um, and Phoenix took Cassidy down uh, for a three count when he was distracted from it after the match. Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian came out and dumped Sabian off the ladder and, uh, you know, were approaching Phoenix. And then, you know, just people started coming everywhere. Cole Cabana was there, you know, pretty much everyone involved in the ladder match, the best friends. And there's a spot where everyone's fighting outside. Oh, God, it's even watching the replay, it was like, I, I didn't even need to watch the second fucking time. Phoenix did his spot where he basically jumps and then projects himself into a backflip on the rope into everyone, except for even though they were fucking blatantly watching them. And, and I mean, this is a bunch of wrestlers, this shit type of happens. It was Scorpio, uh, Frankie, uh, Cassidy was out there. Everyone was out there. And no one fucking caught him. It's like he just went up and he went down right on his back, you know, while they're trying to fight around him. Uh, the refs are trying to get him out of the place or get him out of there. And, and the medics are trying to look for him. And then what happens in the next match it was like, damn, this is fucking ridiculous. Uh, but that was a really nasty bump. I hope Ray Phoenix is not taken out of the match. I hope he's okay. Because he just basically hit the ground uh, from just projecting himself. And he got a lot of height. So that was the scary part in it. But good match. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just the match kind of got overshadowed by that damn bump at the end of it. And I love how, you know, and Tony and, and Salibur, they're just, they're like trying to go along with it. They're like, wow, blah, 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 blah. And like Jim Ross, like, yeah, he's injured. He looks like he got hurt. Like, uh, Phoenix definitely got hurt. And, uh, yeah, I hope he's not. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this match? I mean, I think it's great because they are – the idea of AEW is to present realism in wrestling. So to openly admit someone is hurt on air is it's kind of smart as a commentator, especially if you don't know if they're going to be at the pay-per-view or not. <laughs> um, yeah. It, at least within reason, right? Um, but I like the match a lot. Um, they got to be very careful with him doing the slow-mo move before people just turn their back on it. Because <laughs> you could get very in, because he, 
he used to do that in the indies it was like a, he would do like a full slow-mo and it would slow the other guy down um to kind of thing and that's part of why you know if you ever listen to jim Cornette on orange casty is part of the reason he hates him but uh yeah he's a good wrestler he only has to do like he's gotten his gimmick over so well he only has to do like five or six things really well though <laughs> which is incredible like it's a smart it's a smart way to extend your bump card so to speak uh i like orange casty i think that that's a fun person to put in this match that spot at the end uh was very crazy and uh like you said i hope phoenix is okay and i'm looking forward to that match worst case scenario that you know they can sub phoenix with pineapple Pete. maybe put jericho on commentary i'm hoping you know i wouldn't be opposed to pineapple Pete. But I'm hoping that maybe if Phoenix can't do it, and I hope he doesn't get injured, you know, long term, obviously. But if he couldn't even just do the match, maybe his brother can be there. I don't know what the hell's going on with Pentagon, but you know, I I don't expect Phoenix kind of to win it anyways, and the same type of dynamic, you know. I mean, they're they're throwing Phoenix in there for fucking crazy ass spots in the ladder match. That's what that's what I'm assuming. I started to wonder if they were because they haven't been together. And I don't know. This could just be that they both live in different places. And because of the quarantine, like Pentagon can't be there. Um, but if you were going to separate them, this would have been the time out of this ladder match. Because you would have had a reason if you had Phoenix win it. Mm. Which we all want them to be singles competitors. Like they could come together. They're basically the brothers of destruction, right? Like we love when they're together. But like we super love when they're apart having great singles matches. Absolutely. <laughs> or even against each other. So um I this I mean hopefully Or the Hardies. That, yeah, love them when they're together. Love them even more when they're shooting fireworks at a dilapidated boat. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what I meant. <laughs> All right, so we had a move or match with Nyla Rose. Dr. Britt Baker going against Chris Statlander and Hikaru Shida. At first, this match was smooth. Uh, the way that Shida and Statlander were moving together, thought they were doing a great job. They're both extremely fluid, and the heels were, were getting uh, you know, their comeuppance. Uh, now they started having a bit of a comeback, started nailing people, and uh, Britt Baker did a thing where she wouldn't like get tagged in. She was like, no, 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 you're doing great. Five more minutes. Good heel shit. Um, and then it got a little bit clunky and then there's a spot. I don't really know why they decided to do this, especially how little Britt Baker is where Britt is in the corner. She sat down, you know, legs sprawled out and she, this all ends up on her knee. That's the reason why I'm describing it like that. But, uh, Chris Atlander and Kurashita take Nyla Rose, and they basically do a suplex, but toss her body into Britt Baker, but she doesn't really hit Britt Baker's, like, body part. She falls right the fuck on her knee, and immediately you could tell something was up. Uh, she was trying to tell Chris Statlander. It looked like she finally got her attention of what happened, and Chris was telling, like, Nyla Rose to, like, you know, get her ass in there, and, you know, uh, she made, like, a signal to Nyla Rose. She went for a three count. Nyla came in. Nyla dragged Britt all the way to the corner, tagged herself in, and finished the match. I don't know if, th- if this was supposed to be where Britt Baker was supposed to win the match against Chris Statlander, but what ended up happening, and it kind of looked like it was an audible, Nyla, you know, 
uh, did some move to Hiroshita, and then she followed up with a powerbomb and pinned her one, two, three, while uh, they were showing, you know, the medics come out again and take care of Britt Baker. And she kept on saying, it's my knee, it's my knee. It just, uh, you know, having bad knees, that looked pretty bad. And like I said, it's just bad luck. It sucks. You know, and, and this is their go-home show. And, like, the next match, Chris, something like this happens. And uh, I hope Dr. Britt Baker's all right because she's supposed to have a match with Chris Statlander and also – she, I've been really enjoying her, and I don't want her to be out for a while. But um, how did you like this match, and uh, what do you have to say about uh, Britt's injury at the end? Yeah, it was unfortunate. I, I do think that the finish that they went with was the finish because it, it would have made more sense for Statlander to just take the pin somehow. Um, other or not Statlander for well, obviously they can't have Nyla take the pin. Yeah, I don't know. Is, this is a weird one. I don't know what the... I mean, I kind of like the fact that, like, the heels won headed into a pay-per-view. That doesn't usually happen, like, in these kind of matches, if you look at WWE. But it, uh, the match itself was good up until that clunky spot. And unfortunately, hope. I mean, as always, we hope Britt Baker is okay. And I think that she's been doing really, really good. Yeah. I mean, Worst-case scenario, I think that she can just continue... Like, put her on commentary with Tony Schiavone and make him feel uncomfortable, even if she is injured. Like, really, really play that up a little bit. I think there's things that she can do, and hopefully she's all right. Maybe maybe it's not as bad as uh, as we're thinking it is, but from everything that happened, it seemed pretty bad. Now, what I will say, at least someone in the ring had the knowledge to be like, no, this is not right. We need to just go to the finish. Instead of what happens a lot of times in these scenarios where someone gets hurt and then they're getting picked up and fucking dropped on their head and shit um, because they can't, you know, jump into a power bomb or whatever. So I, from that standpoint, I think the wrestlers that were in the ring handled it pretty well while making it still look like a believable finish. Um, shit. Yeah, this was a very bad luck show for AEW. I'll say that they had some. Some weird shit happened that, and some of these people like, like Ray Phoenix, I don't ever remember him getting hurt in this way. Like, it's just some of the shit that's happened is just fucking weird on this show. It's just like there was a curse or something. Jake the Snake brought in the voodoo from the farm, the woods, the same woods that (laughs) the guy is walking around in right now for the next scene. Oh my god, who did he go and talk to Papa Shango? (laughs) <laughs> yeah godfather he's been he's been hanging out with uh J- jim ross now he's over there putting curses on everybody um all jokes aside man we hope that all of these performers are going to be able to be at the pay-per-view but realistically but that's that may not be the case and i'd send them well wishes i hope everything's all right yeah i think that's a good good way to end the conversation we still have one more that i didn't find out about until uh listening to dave and uh brian but we'll we'll get to that uh, we had a weird segment with Sean Spears and he's anchor for Sean Spears News, uh, reporting that even though Dustin apparently retired after getting beaten by Lance Archer, he wanted to challenge him at double or nothing, and that was accepted. I don't care. Cool. I hope Dustin wins. I just don't care anymore. I'm sorry. Like he was, you can't you you brought him in and you kind of you put him with Tully. You kind of made him. More of a badass, more darker. He was the chairman. He fucked up Cody. And then he's acting like a silly fucking, you know, 
heel, like like more of like a chicken shit heel out of nowhere. And then now he's in the news anchor, man. What the fuck is Tully? Get rid of him. Go find a better tag team. I think there's some guys that want to come in there. They might start a revolt. I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, Sean Spears and Dustin. Should be it should be a good match. I hope Dustin wins, but he probably won't. Sean definitely needs I mean, it's it. Almost, it's almost like when they put him on the main roster like three years ago, and I was like, I don't know why they're putting this guy on the main roster. Like he's only over because of that one gimmick. I was right. <laughs> like I think the experiment is done. He's just gonna be a mid card guy and we're gonna get what we get out of Sean Spears, and I agree with you. Dustin Rhodes needs to win. Might as well have it against Sean Spears. And as far as Tully goes, I mean, it could be a social distancing thing. Yeah. Because he I'm wasn't in, Yeah, and he wasn't really involved in a major storyline. But it kind of works out for them because now, like, fuck, you could have... If they're bringing in... If they bring in Anderson and Gallows, for instance, you got a great manager for those guys, and they can talk. Like, you basically got, like, a little mini four horsemen. If you just yeah. find one other piece... <laughs> so, good point. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you could put Tully with that aren't. And look, Spears is good in the ring, so I'm not crapping yeah. on his end ring ability. He's just there's nothing about the guy that's entertaining. No, I don't find anything. I find his uh, wife more entertaining, Peyton Royce. Let's just put it that way. So, and her voice makes something happen in my ear where it starts bleeding. So. Anyways, I, I'm I, we have to give him credit for getting the ten thing over though. Ten, like, yeah, like fans like to chant ten when the ref counts like one. Hey, that Royal funny. Rumble moment—it was probably the coolest <laughs> moment for him too that I saw. Um, but yeah, the main event was Matt Hardy going against Sammy Guevara. Dude, kudos to Matt Hardy. What the hell is he? Has he been doing DDP yoga and like every other thing? Like, you know. For his age, he was pretty damn limber in keeping up with Sammy Guevara. But I will say, Sammy, the way that he just – the way that he sells with his body just a fucking – like a backbreaker or scoop slam, never – not even to mention the twist of fate, the way that he took it at the end of it, just straight up on his head, incredible. Um, I thought this match was great, and uh, I really – was probably – I don't know. It's, it's between this, like I said, and the Orange Cassidy uh, match with Phoenix as my favorites. But these guys had a great match. It showed that Matt's got a lot in his tank. Uh, you know, I hate to say for Bases' age, but, I mean, that's the truth. This guy's been thrown off fucking ladders a million times. He's not He's not a spring chicken. And uh, Sammy is just absolutely incredible. He's, like we say all the time, it doesn't even matter if he loses since he's a heel. And he shows so much greatness in the ring and on also on the mic like he's kind of untouchable um i really like this match and afterwards so basically matt was you know throwing to jericho saying that he was gonna take out or take out sammy jericho came out on the screen behind uh they're having a little bit of sound issues but they finally figured it out um him jake uh santana ortiz were all with Kenny Omega and he had a baseball bat and he had him chained up behind his back over in the Jacksonville uh, stadium. And they're about to beat their ass. All of a sudden you see something 
like in the eyes coming off the aprons within the stadium and it's the Young Bucks, both with masks on, which I thought was kind of funny. And LAX charge them. They jump off. They do a dive. Uh, I think that might have been where Matt cracked one of his ribs, apparently. I don't know. I don't know what other spot it looked like he could have, but he kind of held it at one point right afterwards because I watched it. Um, so it might have been just from that one spot, which was not really even that crazy of a dive, and he didn't really land wrong, but, you know, shit happens. Either way, the best part, the whole fucking football field, all of a sudden you see Hangman Page come into frame and clothesline the shit out of Jericho, take out Jake Hager, Matt Hardy gets there, they get together, they're a unit, and they chase off the inner circle, who's like, we'll get you guys! Like, they did that whole entire thing, like Chris Jericho's such a great <laughs> dastardly fucking heel, you know, like Dick Dastardly, you know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, really like this ending. I, once again, I hope Matt's not hurt or he can wrestle. A crack rib would fucking suck. Um, but this was uh, this was very done very well since they had to stretch it out throughout the whole entire stadium and shit. This was was pretty good. How'd you like the ending, Chris? I loved the ending specifically. Like Hangman sh- sprinting out of nowhere and clotheslining the shit out of people was great. <laughs> like, but are they gonna keep him a babyface? <laughs> like they keep giving him these big babyface moments. I'm still confused on where we're at with the hangman. Um, I thought the match itself was really, really good. And uh, to, to bring it up, to, to nail home your point, Matt Hardy is 45 years old. So, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible how still good in the ring he is. And I think it just, it, you know, it's just he wrestles a style where it's not too bad on his body now. And he found a way to work it into a gimmick. And he had someone great in Sammy Guevara to work off of. And like you said, Sammy's great at, at selling, so it was uh, it was pretty damn good. And Sammy always makes himself look good, even when he loses. I'll say that he he has a way of that's only going to go so far. At some point, he's yeah. going to have to start getting wins, but he does have a way of like making it look like it's his fault that he lost, not that he got out wrestled. It's that he always does something dumb and cocky and then gets beat. Which is like, if you're going to have to take a loss week after week, that's the best way to do it. But not many people are that fucking talented. Um, Sammy Guevara is fucking great. So I I love this entire segment. The only thing I would say about it is very weird. I think they got the timing wrong, but it was like, how long were the Young Bucks watching (laughs) Kenny Omega get the shit beat out of him before they decided to dive off that thing? Uh, mm, maybe they need to use that for future shit. Uh, maybe that guys, is the thing. What were you doing? Why? I was getting my ass kicked. You guys were just chilling over in the stadium. We need paranoid Kenny Omega. I think that would be the good version of Kenny Omega as far as his promos go, unless they're going to turn him heel again. Oh my god, what they're doing uh, one of the dumbest thing but funniest thing that they do on um uh, god their show. I forgot what the hell it's called. Be but, the elite. Be the elite. Kenny always is paranoid that somehow, and it's because he always does. Cole Cabana always ends up in, in the, the the same shot as him, and he's like, "What are you doing here? What are you? What, why are you in my shot? Why are you here? Why are you here, Cole Cabana? Get out of here, Cole Cabana! I will tell you." He starts doing that whole thing. It's so fucking funny. They did that with Xavier Woods for a long time with Kenny Omega, and then they like they would do it at like every video game 
thing and that's how it would work out like wwe would allow it because it was promoting wwe to some extent but then when the the cease and desist shit started happening with the young bucks it seems like that stuff all fell off a cliff but it was really funny it was like uh xavier woods would beat him at every video game and he would freak out and be all paranoid he'd like be like just wearing a robe in his hotel room and shit that's exactly how he Dude, it's so funny. I mean, it's, Kenny's a funny dude. I wish he would find a character that's that works for his character within wrestling sometimes. But you know, him doing that—if he can find a version of that—it's—it's it's fucking hilarious. It's—it's it's really funny. Um, and especially especially on being on the elite because they—they he can cuss and stuff like that. So he's like, "You stupid motherfucker!" You know, and just <laughs> bitching at at at, at uh, Michael Nakazawa. You know, it's just it's funny stuff, man. Love has, it. Has the has the world finally proven me right on just Okada being better than Kenny Omega? I I I think I I yeah I mean <laughs> I think Okada's the best. I think there's people that might be better than Kenny Omega before. You know, oh, I don't even want to go in this conversation. I like Kenny Omega. He's definitely one of my favorites, but I still I mean, put AJ above top, him. He he won top wrestler for us one year. Yeah. On, on one of our lists. So, like, it's not like we don't think he's a good wrestler. I just was on the opposite side of he this. Is, list. He's, <laughs> he he, he needs a certain thing. part of his package, you know, to help him out. Okada's pretty much good on everything. Kenny still needs to find a character. And he was anime villain, and it doesn't translate over here, so I don't know. He, he needs an opponent that can bring that out of him. They they just got to do yeah. something. They got to get him out of the elite scenario and start booking him more against top heels. He was the top free agent like a year ago, and now he's kind of a shadow of that. But either way, I did want to talk about, before we talk about Double or Nothing, Chris, we have next week a big battle royal. We don't know how many participants, but within this battle royal, the person that wins it, We'll get a title shot on June 3rd for the AEW TNT Championship against whoever wins between Cody. Lance Archer's going to win. So whoever is so against Lance Archer. Um, sorry. Well, that's at least what I. Um, that's kind of cool. We're gonna have a battle royal next week. Um, is this a way to get Darby Allen to the top real quick? Because that's what I think it is. To have him beat Lance Archer. Well, not beat Lance Archer but win the battle royal to go against, I guess, Lance Archer for the belt. We also could have some secret people in there, too. We don't know. You know maybe maybe Pineapple Pete makes a, a appearance. Woo, woo, woo. You know it, bro. <laughs> well, I'll, we'll get to him. I have, a, I have, I think I know where Zack Ryder might be coming. I mean, Tom, or what's his name? Mike, Mike, uh, Mike Cardona. I'm Italian and I fucking forgot that name. Such a Italian name. All right, so let's get to this. Uh, this this these matches for double or nothing. We have Dustin Rhodes uh, against Sean Spears. I already said it. I want Dustin to win, but in reality, Sean probably could use a win. Uh, but yeah, I'm going with Dustin because you know fucking Sean Spears. Uh, Chris, what what do you think? I mean, I think Dustin needs the win more because he's got to be a believable person to assist all of his friends in this fucking company <laughs> seems like so and to me i'm just done with sean spears i mean like even if he beats dustin what does that prove dustin just got retired the other day by lance archer <laughs> so 
I don't even know that. They, I mean, him getting a win means more than like he somehow gets a roll-up pin on Sean Spears. So I would say he needs to win more. I'm going to go with Dustin Rhodes. All right, so we got Private Party. Isaiah, Cassidy, and Mark Quinn going against best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent, uh, determine the number one contender for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Um, I'm going to go with best friends. I think they've been on a roll. We haven't seen a lot from Private Party. No offense to them, but, you know, I think that would be kind of dumb all of a sudden to put them in a title picture while best friends have been winning, you know, matches as of recently. So, yeah, I'm going to go with best friends. Who do you think? I'm going to agree with you and say the best friends win this one. I feel like they've been getting a substantial push, and it kind of makes sense. Not anything against private party. It's just I don't know what they're doing with them right now. Yep. Um, and then we have what's supposed to be Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, going against Chris Statlander. This match happens, and everything's fine. I hope Britt Baker gets a win. Uh, I like Chris Statlander, but I like the I like what they're doing with Dr. Britt. If not, I don't know if this will be scrapped or if they'll replace Britt with someone else. I have no idea, so we'll just go with everything's going to be okay, and Britt's going to be going against Chris, and Britt will be taking that win. What do you think is going to happen? So the Nyla Rose match down the line, what is what is that match for the title? Uh, it's a no DQ, no, no count out. For the AEW women's uh, title. Do they just make that a three-way match if Britt can't go? I mean, technically, yeah. They could if they wanted to. But then again, Sheeta won her way into that match. That wouldn't be really fair. Yeah. Huh. Well, then I guess, like... Fuck, I'm trying to think of someone that they could pull in. What's um what's Will Ospreay's uh lovely No, I think she's in Britain. I don't think she could come over here. Um Yeah, that's the thing is I'm thinking about their roster. Uh I mean big small but baby face yeah. baby face. Yeah, that's a tough one. Maybe they just cancel that match. What's Will Ospreay's uh wife's name? I don't I don't know right offhand. she's such a badass too we've put her over so many damn times she's got the bangs the the problem is is it's because it's we don't talk about will osprey and it's not like wwe where they work together in the same fucking company so like i don't ever think about his wife i'm gonna it's the same it's like how we always forget who uh is it carrie zane's married to uh, no, um, Io Shirai is married to evil, but it's B Priestley is who I was thinking about. That's Will Ospreay's wife. Um, oh, yeah, I love B Priestley. I don't know if she's over. I think she's over in the UK, so I, I don't think she could come over. So that that would be another heel they could use, but maybe Big Swole. Just put her in a match against Krista Tratland. Who cares? Let them have a the nice Diva fucking... Diva Bates, the, libertari- the librarian shows up. She's not a bad wrestler, but the way they positioned her and everything, I, I don't want her to fucking go in a match. She'll get her ass kicked. I mean, I guess, you know, the idea, if you wanted to do this, your pre-show, throw a battle royal together and make that a number one contenders match for the title, right? And someone has to fill Britt Baker's spot. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With whatever talent I like they have. That. I mean, it's just it's just really hard because you could end up with babyface versus babyface like Big Swole, but it is a way to at least get someone else over that you weren't expecting to. So that that would be my workaround if Britt's not able to go, or just don't do the match. Like. Yeah. Well, how about how about between Nyla Rose and Akira Shida? I think Nyla's got to keep this, doesn't she? I mean, I love Shida, but I I don't know. I, I just don't think that Nyla she's had it for a while, but I don't think she's had it long enough. Um, so I'm gonna go with Nyla Rose. Who do you think for the uh, women's championship? No DQ, Nyla- no countout. I mean, I think Nyla's gonna keep it. I'm kind of on the same page with you. I don't know. I just, I, my thought was that they were going to go uh, eventually go Britt Baker versus Nyla Rose, but we don't know what that is or what that's going to look like. So I'm assuming that Nyla's going to keep it here. And what? I, fuck. Who knows? <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it, it makes the most sense that Nyla would keep it here. But I think that their whole women's division got flipped upside down if Britt Baker's like actually hurt. Yeah, because there was going to probably be a connection piece of Nyla losing to a babyface to go against Britt Baker to get the belt on Britt at some point. And uh, I don't know. Uh, Here's a fun one, because we don't know now. Well, well, let's just lay it out. But this is the casino ladder match uh, for a future AEW World Championship match. Number one contender, basically. Darby Allin, Cole Cabana. Orange Cassidy, Ray Phoenix, kind of strangely both Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, uh, Kip Sabian, Luchasaurus, and to be announced. Now, we already talked about Phoenix. I hope that he's okay. He's a fucking maniac, so he's probably fine. Uh, if he can't make it, maybe his brother. They have a lot of other guys. But let's, let's go into the to be announced. Now, I'm thinking three people. It's got to be someone somewhat special, someone returning, maybe like a Pac or someone that we wouldn't think of, maybe Pentagon. Uh, it can't just be some just throw someone in there because I think that would just piss people off. But the two random ones I want to put in there, if they were to introduce, I would say that this would be perfect to put Zack Ryder in ladder match. One of his biggest fucking accomplishments, winning a ladder match for the IC belt. If not him, if Brian Cage is ready, Brian Cage would be awesome to put in this uh, ladder match to display him right away, put him as a top contender. I think either one of those guys, if they are in AEW, and if there's any type of way to involve them, this would be a good start-off point for either of those guys. I would love, personally, for Pop to be there also, but like I said, I think he can't leave uh, the UK right now, so I don't know. It's 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 always weird when it comes to that. But um, who wins it? <sighs> Maybe I'll shut up about Darby Allen when the, uh, the the TNT and he'll actually end up getting this uh, instead to set up for either Brody Lee or John Moxley, prob- most likely in the future. I don't know. Uh, this one's kind of this one has a lot of fun people. Maybe Scorpio Sky gets it. That would be fucking awesome. Maybe Luchasaurus gets it. You know, they don't have to win against uh, either Moxley or Brody Lee. They can still lose. So um, I'm going to go with Darby Allen, but who do you think is going to win? And who do you think is to be announced? Who's going to 
debut, if you will, at Double or Nothing this weekend? The only reason I'm not going to say that Zach, like Zach Ryder would 100% be there is like, I don't. Is there a no compete if you get fired? Yeah, you're right. I think that he does. He's one of the people that has to wait. So is to be announced one. How many people are the to be announced on this? one? Just one. So although Phoenix could be out, too. So it might be. Yeah. So Cage is Canadian, right? No, Brian Cage is uh, from the U.S. Okay, all right. For some reason, I'm you know most of the guys that get super over and impact are Canadian. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I wonder if Don Callis has anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I just assumed I just assumed he was Canadian. Uh, no, okay. So Brian Cage and then maybe replacement with Jeff Cobb. I don't know where he's at, but he was signed to the company. That'd be kind of cool. I think that's going to be a match, though. I think that's going to be a hell of a ladder match. So I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, uh, if it's Brian Cage, do you just have him win the fucker? But I feel like you put your horses on Darby Allen, so like, yeah. I mean, at this point, you need to just push the guy. Like, if some other one, sh- if someone shows up to be a and or to be announced and fucking wins over Darby Allen, I don't know how your fan base is going to react to that. You know so what? I- this is a random one, but it's the only person from WWE that does not have a 90-day compete. Although apparently, there's more negotiations that we don't know, so maybe he didn't leave WWE, but Drew Gulak got released, and apparently it was, there was no 90-day uh, compete. He was just done with his contract. He didn't renew it. Um, would that be random as fucking hell if all of a sudden Drew Gulak shows up for a ladder match on AEW? Oh, so, like, I didn't know that Gulak just didn't re-sign. So that's yeah. different, that he ran his contract out. So, yeah, that totally could be a guy. I just thought he got fired. Because everything that was said the he weird was thing. But now there's information saying that he might stay in that that if the first information. I don't know, man. It's it's so fucking it's weird. I don't know. Maybe if, if if Daniel Bryan has anything to do with it. But, yeah, I think he wrote out his contract and said, fuck off, basically. Yeah, it just seemed weird because it seemed like they were positioning them as a tag team to do a storyline down the line with him and Daniel again. So I was like, by that, I was surprised because that didn't seem like a very. Vince thing to do with a guy that said it wasn't an active storyline. So you know, he just I'll set out his contract. Intro, and... <laughs> so I don't sound like an idiot, but I'll give you while I'm looking uh, up that shit. The next match, which is MJF with Wardlow, remember, with against Jungle Boy with Luchasaurus in his corner. Uh, should be an awesome match. I kind of expect MJF to win. But it can be because of fuckery, and I hope it does set up a match between Wardlow and Luchasaurus. Who do you think is going to win? I think that, you know, obviously Luchasaurus and Wardlow are going to take each other out. And Marco Stun is going to interfere and Jungle Boy is going to win. It's going to be opposite fuckery. Mm, opposite fuckery. Because I don't know what they're... They can't. Th- I don't know where you're gonna throw MJF because you have other feuds going on right now for your title. Because if it, you're not gonna put him right against Dean Moxley, you feel like that angle is gonna go a little longer, right? And if Darby Allen wins, he would be the next challenger, anyways. In theory, I mean, I guess you could just put him right against Cody again. 
Or you could just leave this feud going and build up like a tag match and then have one final blow off match. So I actually think that Jungle Boy might win this one. Hey, you know, I mean, it kind of helps us to heal sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, uh, like, if MJF is trying to cheat the entire time and Marco Stunt gets the better of him, I think the crowd's going to pop for that. It's not going to hurt MJF because he's fucking great on the mic and he's he's gotten a bunch of wins, so it's, it's not going to hurt him. Are you saying the heels can lose, basically, and still be fine from it? Yeah, I mean, it's okay for the babyface to one time outsmart the heels. It's okay. It happens sometimes. Dusty Rhodes. All right, so this is what Brian Alvarez said a day ago, apparently. Uh, Gulak's contract expired after Friday's show as both sides had not reached a deal on the money. The belief is he is gone. But it has been hinted to Dave Metzler that it's not a dead issue. He is represented by agent uh, Barry Bloom. Wow, good job having that in one. That's that's Hulk Hogan's fucking lawyer uh, for his negotiations. Uh, so it does appear that Drew Gulak is interested in returning if he gets a good enough deal. So it's a negotiation of money, basically. That's that's stopping. But if they don't if they don't do anything, he does not have a non compete. He can just get the fuck out of here. His 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 contract's done. Do you think that Gulak just needs that little bit of like let him be kind of himself and give him a little bit of push because he kind of got the PowerPoint presentation thing over. He's which is like done a really dumb every idea. every aspect of what he's done, whether it be a dick heel, whether it be that version, the politician. He's all he's gotten it all over, man. I mean, and he's good in the ring too. Yeah, I mean him and. Uh... Was it Matt Riddle at Evolve? Yeah. They, they, you know, their feud, and then that reclash pay per view that they did, which why the fuck they don't show more Evolve shows on WWE Network after that? I have no idea, but, um, yeah, fucking, I he would be a great signing for somebody. I don't know. Oh, wow. Depends on how much money Vince throws at him. So the same uh, article was also talking that Rey Mysterio looks like he'll be departing in September. That's when his contract's up, and it doesn't look like he's going to renew it. Think Ray's going to go uh, somewhere else? <laughs> Start his own Lucha House party? <laughs> oh, AEW? God. Uh, I, I hate I mean, that shit. I, I don't know, because I feel like they have, like, Ray... One, they're going to tack on injury time. Unless that's including injury time, because Ray was out for a while. I, I don't know. I think Ray wants to get his son over at the uh, the WWE level. There seems like there's still some fuel to that storyline. Yeah, I could be wrong on Very, that, but maybe they were like, "No, Dominic can just be thrown around by Brock Lesnar. Is that okay?" And he was like, "All right, well, fuck this. You guys already fucked over Kim Velasquez. I'm out of here." Yeah, I, I mean, I don't feel like he's going to burn any bridges on his way out with Ray. He seems like no. every company he goes to, he just leaves amicably. And If if Jeff leaves, I think it'll be the same way, you know. It'll just be, they, they seem, you know, Jeff outside of doing other fucking stuff in his life. But when it comes to leaving WWE, he usually, hey, have a good one. You guys have a good one. I'll be back for a ladder match. And that's about it. Yeah, Jeff's like kind of the... Kind of, kind of the is the the difference between Jeff is he's getting pushed to win recently. <laughs> like, they must have had some idea for him. 
that hasn't came to fruition yet because they are still putting him over, even though knowing that Matt is in uh, AEW and his contract's coming to an end soon, they're still fucking giving that guy wins. Yeah. All right, so we got the elite, the the elite, which consists now of Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy, Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson against the inner circle, Chris Jericho, Jack Hager, Sammy Guevara, Santana Ortiz. Who's going to win, Chris? And if Matt can't do it, who the hell are they going to put in the place of Matt Jackson for this match after they finally just came back? Uh, for me, I'm going to pick – I kind of want the inner circle to win. I don't know why, but I kind of just want them to fucking just <laughs> – you know, have their fucking feet on their heads, their arms raised at the end of this in the middle of a stadium. The whole concept is great because if you try to do a stadium full of people for double or nothing, you're probably not going to fill it. But since you don't have to fill it because of the pandemic, then you just have a fucking open place with a ring in the middle of it. It looks cool. Um, or at least I think so. Maybe it'll make it look even weirder. But we'll find out. But um, I don't know, man. Because if you put in, like, any of their buddies that get their like Brandon Cutler or some shit like that, it'll be so underwhelming. And obviously Cody can't do double duty. Uh, Dustin's in a match. I don't know. QT Marshall maybe, but I don't know who's going to be replacing Matt if they have to do that. But I feel like the inner circle is going to win. Who do you think is going to win? So it's Matt Jackson with a crack rib. Yeah. If he, if he wrestles, uh, he's probably just going to fucking wrestle, but if he doesn't, I would say Frankie Kazarian, and you just play into the fact that they didn't they take the titles off SCU. So it's like a respect thing, and Frankie Kazarian's a great well, tag team wrestler, the and he doesn't have anything on the show. That. No, Frankie's actually in the, the, the latter match, but what's his name? Uh, uh, Christopher Daniels is not. Oh, okay, so yeah, just substitute Daniels for Kazarian then in that statement. I forgot Kazarian was in that ladder match because like, isn't Scorpio also in that ladder yeah. match? Yeah, really fucking weird. Well, they're blowing that team up for Scorpio Sky, which I think would point to maybe Scorpio Sky is might win that thing. Um, but yeah, you could easily just put Christopher Daniels in that spot. Like I, I think you need to put a veteran in there if it's just randomized because they're gonna be doing all sorts of crazy shit in that match. Yeah, it's gonna be fucking nuts. Uh, well, who uh, the do you got the elite winning or do you have the inner circle? I have the inner circle simply because I'm still not sold on the fact the elite's not a heel team. <laughs> That's a good point. Adam Page is probably gonna have to murder a guy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> or Adam Cole. Or Adam Page. I had it right the yeah. first time. Fuck me. Yeah, I had it right the first time. I wonder if anyone will turn on uh, the elite out of those guys and join the inner circle. Hmm. Page, Kenny, any of them. Uh, I'd, Kinda be cool if Kenny did. <laughs> be different. Kenny would make the most sense in that group because, like Matt being in that group, that becomes a whole different thing, right? Yeah. Like, that, that. that's <laughs> the elites. They already have a tag team, so you wouldn't really put, you know, I mean, Adam, but he's just such a baby face. Yeah, I don't want Adam to be a fucking heel. I like cheering for him when he was going, y'all get 
you guys get? <laughs> I was I was fucking popping so bad, man. That shit was so funny. It's like uh, as soon as he said cowboy shit, his entire career changed. <laughs> Which is like, you know, Stone Cold said, Austin 316 said, I just whipped your ass. Years from now, we're going to look back on this and be like, remember when he said cowboy shit? <laughs> fucking. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so we got two title matches. I think the first one that we should talk about is going to be for the inaugural AEW TNT Championship, which will be presented by Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson will be a forcer outside the ring. we got Cody with Arn Anderson and Brandy Rhodes in his corner, going against Lance Archer with Jake Snake Roberts in his corner. I think we both said this. Love Cody, uh, but I really feel like he's having a story slowly developed of a fall from grace. And that will eventually kind of put him in the position of a heel turn so he can make other baby faces as big as he once was. Um, and, uh, yeah, Lance Archer will be our first AEW TNT champion. Who do you think? I think Cody's going to win. And I'll give you oh. my reasoning. I think they're going to have Arbery Edwards be the referee and that be the reason that Mike Tyson has to get involved as an enforcer. Like, they're going to really put over that Lance Archer and Jake the Snake are fucking asshole, creepy people. Like, maybe she's calling the match too straight and gets taken ah. out. And then Mike Tyson's like, blah, <laughs> and just pins. And we just revisit that scene. And he just makes the pinfall or whatever, but everyone's going to pop because they love Edwards as a ref. And, <laughs> and everyone wants Cody to be a champ anyways. I love that. And... That makes me want Darby Allen to actually win the Battle Royal to go for the TNT champion and not, and lose a ladder match so him and Cody can have a fucking title match where he finally wins and beats him and completes that Ric Flair-Sting storyline that they've kind of put in place. I like that idea. I, I, don't, I, I don't dislike that. I just think that ah, building up Lance Archer, it's going to suck if he just loses to Cody at the same time. But not you if know? he got punched by Mike Tyson. Like, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That, that is a good point. Oh, all right. That's, like if, he takes, a stiff right, if he, st- he takes a stiff right hand from Mike Tyson, like I don't blame any man for taking a loss after that. It's like, come on. Hey, bitch, I'm going to fuck you till you love me. Come here. This man just wants right, to so. hang out with his pigeons. <laughs> All right, so we have MJF with Wardlow. All right, no, I already said that one. John Moxley going against Brody Lee for the AEW World Championship. I got Moxley. I think this is going to be a good match. I wouldn't be surprised if Brody gets it because Moxley can get it again. I mean, he's going to be a top star there for a while. Um, he's held it for a while. It's been un- underwhelming, partially not his fault. So maybe they gave it to Brody Lee to try to, like, really, you know, ramp him up a bit but I think Mox is going to win there could be a, a situation where this causes another match between the two of them too if Moxley does win or Moxley could lose because of fuckery and then they continue to feud with uh, Brody Lee having the title but my last choice is John Moxley winning uh, what do you think Chris on the same page, I just don't think Brody Lee is the guy to put the title on just because the inner circle, one, they're not all together right now. And even if you wanted to go that route down the road, I feel like there's still you can still build to it. 
and it's Moxley. So like he gets you hit him with a fucking semi truck, he somehow still wins. So <laughs> you can it's uh it's not far fetched for him to get a, a win out of this. And I'm assuming that it's going to I'm not gonna say it's not gonna come down to like a DQ or something, but uh it could be that one of these henchmen for the Dark Order accidentally cost Brody the match and then that's a series of vignettes or something. But I, I don't think Brody is ready to be the top guy right now. No, he'd be the top guy to be taken out very soon afterwards by someone else, a new baby face basically. Yeah, so it's uh it's I think build Moxley and you know if Darby ends up winning that ladder match, there's that's your feud because that's your that's it's been a while since they had one of those crazy ass hardcore matches. Might as well put those two guys together. Which is what I'm leaning towards them doing. So what we basically want is that Darby Allen needs to win both the battle royal and the ladder match and then get both the belts from John Moxley and Cody. Why not? That's how you make a superstar in one night. <laughs> I fucking love Darby Allen, man. I'm down. But um yeah, I'm I'm excited or, about this pay per view. What were you gonna say? I mean, or like you said, if he, he wins the battle royal and they just play because they have good announcers, that they play on the fact that he could win the ladder match and then like whoever the two B announced is is someone like Brian Cage and you, you could go that route as well. It's true. It's true. We'll have to find out. Like I said this Saturday. Very happy about having this pay-per-view. Um, I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I, 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 this and TakeOver, what they're building up for TakeOver. God, man, I love NXT and AEW. Guys, from now on, I think what we're going to do, we're going to try to keep things a bit separate with our shows uh, to make them a bit more cohesive and, and go along better and, um, you know, put stuff together so – like we did tonight, we, we're going to go on Thursdays. We'll go over NXT and AEW and any non, uh, you know, WWE style thing. I understand NXT is still a product of WWE, but it's a little bit different. So those are the main two. And then anything that's kind of has to do with wrestling documentary wise or whatever that's outside of the WWE. Any news that has to do with stuff like that will be presented on Thursday and then Saturday. We'll provide a show for you guys where we go over SmackDown and Raw, any WWE-related news, any WWE-related documentary or anything like that to keep together. And also, we'll, we'll be able to get those, you know, if we have a slower day with Raw and SmackDown or a slower day with AEW and NXT, we'll be able to provide, you know, one of our segments that we've been working on, whether it be the, the uh, Observing Wrestlers Hall of Fame or any of the other ones that we've attempted in the past. But, um, yeah, we're just trying to provide some more content. Chris, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm going to leave it to you, sir. It's it's 919 while we're recording. Uh, do you want to save the Owen Hart documentary uh, so we can, you know, go more thoroughly into it for Saturday? Or would you like to break that down real quickly right now? Yeah, no, I have I have time if you want to talk about what I'm sorry. I missed I missed part of your question. Um, did you say I have time to talk about the Owen Hart doc? I said, yeah, basically, do you want to talk about it now or do you want to save it for Saturday? Let's uh, let's let's go ahead and talk about it now. And then maybe I'll have some MLW or New Japan stuff we can talk about. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, we, need, we just need them to start again, man. Ugh, I miss that. 
There's some rumors out there. Uh, There's some signing rumors out there. So that, that, for that's New Japan or for MLW? For both. But we'll get into that next <laughs> next time. No, well, I kind of want to talk about that now. Um, yeah, give me the signings for for new. Uh, that 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 really intrigues me. What, what are you talking about? Anderson and Gallows have been in negotiations from the sources I've seen. Is yeah, that makes sense for for New Japan. <laughs> yes, and then for MLW, they were in talks with uh, Drew Gulak, who you mentioned earlier. I just saw that. So, oh, it might cost them a bit, but would also be a good fit for their company when you think about Gulak versus filthy Tom Waller, for instance. Uh, yeah, man, fuck yeah, Whew. definitely. That that would be that would be awesome. I would love to see that. MLW's got a, one hell of a roster, and um, it makes sense if Anderson Gallo go back to New Japan. Um, but, man, I would still like to see them in AEW. Maybe they can kind of jump between places uh, within the future, but uh, that's that's pretty awesome. That's that's some good stuff. See, that's the type of stuff that we should talk about on, on, on Thursdays <laughs> to go along with the non-WWE, you know, garbage that's happening half the fucking time. Damn dog barking in the background. Can't even keep an open window. Um, but anyways, yeah. Did you have any comments about that before we go over uh, the Owen Hart stuff? No, I mean, I just I would say that MLW stands the most to gain coming out of this, especially against Impact, which is like a Twitch show also, and NWA, which is a YouTube show. So if they can load up that roster, put out some really good content, kind of get their name out there. Um. I mean, obviously, like, Ring of Honor still has Sinclair, so to me, they're like third dog in the fight at this point. But uh, maybe MLW can work some magic during all of this and, and come out of it with some really good matches to get people talking. And hey, maybe man. like a signing like Drew Gulak would get them there. Hey, man, Court Power, he knows what he's doing. He's got a, one hell of an organization. I would love to see in the future him and Billy Corgan work out an NWA versus MLW-style pay-per-view. Because they both have awesome fucking wrestlers that I'd love to see matched up. Especially in this situation if we have, like, you know, James Storm versus Filthy Tom Lawler in a fucking brawl or some shit like that. That'd be a lot of fun. But love MLW. And I mean, with with Gulak, he could be working on some sort of open contract that we're not aware of where he could go multiple places. Which then that landing spot would become like something like an AEW or an MLW. So there is some, like I know it seems like they would be the little contract of all of the contracts, but not if you look at it in the big picture of this guy being able to go to other places. Yeah, I agree, and I'm telling everyone. I mean, I don't. It's not that I want him to leave MLW, but you will be seeing big things of Alexander Hammerstone. Once his contract's done at MLW, whether he goes to WWE uh, or AEW, and yes, I have enough confidence to think that he'll go to either one of those places first. So, um, I don't know. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. Let's talk about this documentary, man, to close things out. This is rough. This is definitely a rough one. Um, The last of a good series of documentaries – I saw Brian break it down, and I, I could, I can kind of see what he was talking about. He was just basically saying like something this depressing come out right now during this time period. It's not always 
because the documentaries are so good, basically. But at the same time, stuff like this, you know, I think this in the beginning, basically, with the Benoit situation, and obviously Dino Bravo, there was a lot of tragic stories. Obviously, the, the you know, I was getting annoyed when I was watching the uh, Legion of Doom um, Road Warriors one, and I realized it wasn't really reflected at their careers. It was reflected at Hawk's problems throughout their career and how that worked out, which was another episode. But, you know, they kind of had a couple funny ones, but mostly not really funny, but ones that were easier than some of the other ones, like the Benoit one that started off that two part, which basically the first one kind of was a lot about Eddie, too. And then this last one with the tragic story of Owen Hart. And I have I have I have opinions on it. Um, but I thought it was a very well done documentary. I think that a lot of the footage they had was pretty awesome since they had a lot of stuff from his early New Japan work where, you know, he was a junior heavyweight champion. Um, I think that he won the the, uh, Super Juniors, if I'm not, you know, mistaken. Unless I came later and I'm thinking of someone else. Uh, Having great matches with Jushin Liger and Tiger Mask and, um, you know, throughout his career. And he was a family man. And he really... You know, he had this giant family he came from, the Hart family. He was the youngest son out of 12 siblings. Holy shit. Um, and the people that, that, that presented the documentary, whether it be Jim Cornette, whether it be Chris Jericho, everyone just really brought a lot of great information. Uh, one of, I would say, my – I don't want to say problems, but, like, it would have been nice to have – you know, when you had the, the Jimmy Snuka documentary, you obviously knew the writing was on the wall with a lot of that, but you still had uh, Tonga Kid in there who only knew Jimmy a certain way and didn't know this dark side of him. Um, when it comes to this, I wish we had some members of the Hart family. I know that Brett was pissed off at the way that the uh, screw job happened last year. You know, so I guess maybe he wouldn't have wanted to do that, but I, I, there's quite a few siblings still alive. It would have been nice to see, you know, a couple more wrestlers. It just going through that night and them explaining the fucking how they had a professional company doing it and rigging him beforehand, but it was taking too long to get him out of his costume. The stupid fucking spoof that they did to make fun of Sting, which in any you know, Brian Alvarez said this. If anything, you'd want him to take forever to get it off because it's supposed to be a fucking spoof. But no, they try to take something that keeps the sail up with on a sailboat, something like that, like a, a clip that barely held together and just came apart and had him drop a hundred fucking feet to his death. And I asked my dad for his pay per view. He said no. Um, I mean, you would have missed it anyways if you watched it live because they were doing a video package during it. But just to even see, like, you know, with all the controversy, someone like Jim Cornette break down while describing that on his way down, that several people in the audience and the referee himself actually heard Owen say, get out of the way. So he was trying to warn the fucking person that was that was the thought in his mind. He knew he was going to die 
most likely from this, and he was still warning people. It just fucking just terribly tragic. Really sad story. Really sad story about seeing a mother with two children and, you know, not just now her husband's dead. And then all the legal problems with WWE afterwards. And it got really, really hairy. And, you know, um, it was a hard doc. I definitely uh, reflected on stuff that I did back when I was a youngster and I found out that he that he passed away in that way because no one fucking did. I mean, people have died in the ring, obviously, but not with something that was so unnecessary and so unneeded. And I don't know, the, the chilling concept that Jim Ross said that he had a conversation with them and he could tell that Owen was apprehensive. I wish it's, they just didn't do it. And it is sickening when you go into it, like, you know, the show must go on. And I've heard that concept or what do you, what do you, what were you supposed to do? We have people in the arena. But then when they're talking about the fact that the blood was still at the side of the fucking ring and where he hit broke the boards and some of the wrestlers actually still remember that shit. Like that fucks with their head is the fact that they were wrestling on top of that. God, dude. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an unbelievably tragic story. And Owen Hart, Honestly, I always say it doesn't matter, you know, when you have the, the, the conversation of American wrestling based from WWE influence, you know, if if doesn't matter who exactly, but if 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 Sean and Brett are always like the John and Paul, then Owen Hart's George Harrison, man. And I really do mean that. I don't know if that means that Mari Gennetti's Ringo or whatnot, but, you know, just trying to throw a little bit of, of <laughs> lightness <laughs> in there, levity in there. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. Chris, take over. How'd you like the documentary? And, um, you know, just whatever you want to talk about from it. So I like the documentary, but if you know a lot about the story, it's not breaking new ground. I think the parts of the, the parts of the documentary that, were the most heartaching and and things that I haven't heard were specifically the interviews with Martha and uh, with son um, and family. I agree with you. Uh, not to me, there's some key wrestlers missing and it's because they're signed to WWE. They could have talked about this because I think that main event was Austin and Stone Cold or no, the Austin and the Undertaker. Like they had to go wrestle that main event being like two of the biggest stars of that time after this tragic accident. I mean, they showed the Jeff uh, Jarrett interview, friend of the show, by the way, go listen to that interview that they did with Jeff. It's, it's great. It's phenomenal. Um, and Thank Jeff you. is like in tears doing this promo with, I can't even remember who his valet was now. That I'm yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just, the whole thing was very weird, and it's at some point it's on the police in the arena for not shutting that down. I think that was one thing that should have been stated more clearly. Like, this man, I mean, I'm not going to say that he, he was murdered because I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but that is something that you would have to look for during this situation, not let the entire event just roll through as this man, like, basically accidentally fell to his death. Um. I think that would have affected kind of the outcome of that lawsuit a lot more if you shut things down immediately. There's a lot of shady shit that happened around this. And 
it all comes down to the amount of money you are willing to spend on your show. And at this point in time, WWF was making money hand over fucking fist. They were beating WCW. They're out of the war. They've won. WCW is done in 2001, and they're like fledgling at this point with wrestling popularity. I mean, they have the Austin, they have the Rock, they have the Undertaker, they have everyone. So, like, you're telling me that Sting can still come down from a helicopter, <laughs> land in the middle of a fucking ring that's in a swimming pool, and you guys can't get this shit right? To me, that always came off as, like, you cheaped out, and this happened. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they had just WWE crew that were doing this. I mean, I know they said they hired this agency or whatever, but then they changed the harness last minute, didn't do any kind of test runs, didn't do, like, a test run with, like, a weighted dummy before you send this guy down kind of shit. Like, it's it's heartbreaking and frustrating at the same time because Owen was such a fucking great wrestler and never really got the credit he deserved while he was in WWE. He kind of just, I mean, outside of the feud with Brett, he ended up just kind of being like a, a mid-class guy, even though he was fucking phenomenal. I mean, you go back and you look at his career and he was kind of an innovator during the time period. When you look at what W like he came in, what 91. So Hogan was yep. still on top. Like that was the kind of wrestling they had. And he came in bringing in like a technical, but could do Lucha stuff like the, uh, that it's not a split legged moonsault, but he would do that. Like, butt moonsault, um, off the side of the ropes, like that kind of shit, the wrist locks he would do, um, where he'd be like basically doing kip ups out of a wrist lock. And, and some of the more innovative stuff that Owen is known for, like just thinking about that kind of shit during that time period in that specific company, not saying it wasn't happening anywhere else, but he was the only person doing that. Then. I mean, Sean's different. He did agile shit and high flying stuff, but so was like Brian Pillman. I don't think that anyone in the United States during that time, um, until you saw the the influx of lucha in WCW, was doing what Owen Hart was doing, and I think that's what made him such a fucking incredible wrestler. And so many people on this documentary is like, oh, he's a Hall of Famer regardless if he gets put in the Hall of Fame. Like any wrestling fan knows how good Owen Hart is, and I think that's uh you know for companies that aren't WWE. They should talk to Martha and see about donating to the foundation for Owen Hart and putting him in their Hall of Fame, like New Japan specifically, um, any all Japan, anywhere he's worked. Hey, you should look at doing something like that. Jericho suggested to Martha. I think that was a way to mend fences so he could try to get Gato to get him in. I wouldn't be surprised because of that conversation if Owen is in the New Japan Hall of Fame by next year. But seriously, everyone talks about the Hall of Fame. But realize in the last couple of years, things have changed. Martha does have a strong opinion against professional wrestling uh, for good reasons. I think her children dislike it even more so. But, you know, she still allowed him. He's in the Luthez Hall of Fame. He's in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's in the Canadian Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's in the Observer uh, Hall of Fame. You know, the, these are... Those are some of the biggest ones outside of the WWE, you know, and especially the Canadian one individually for him, that would be important. If he got into New Japan, that was a huge chunk of the beginning of his career. That would be pretty huge. And I would say those are the most important ones. Like you made the Observer Hall of Fame, like to any diehard wrestling fan, you fucking that means you were really fucking good. 
<laughs> the WWE Hall of Fame is a spoof. To some extent, yeah, there's some great names in there, but we all know how it works. I mean, it's it's an entertainment value for something that they can sell you a ticket to. That's the the WWE Hall of Fame. The New Japan one to me is is more prestigious just because it's like most of those guys work there their entire career. So seeing someone like Owen get in um, based on his entire career from a different company, I think would be a good look for New Japan and, and something that should be thought about. And like I said, the documentary, all of these documentaries, except for the weird ones, like there's probably not a lot of people that know about like Bravo or Herb Abrams. Um, yeah, that <laughs> was a you're, fucking weird one. <laughs> unless you're just like really, really into wrestling. Um, I didn't even know about that weirdo. <laughs> yeah, so those are the ones that are more impressive to me, but they're also not the ones that are going to get the most views. So I understand why they did oh. this. By the way, by the way, I just want to say Ziggy Dice, I used to think you were cool until I just realized you're ripping up Herb Abrams gimmick. So keep on knowing this Coke and, and the WA. I, I see through you, Ziggy Dice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I will say that the one thing that came out of this was I thought Martha was really great. And this is kind of the first time I've ever seen her talk about this in any in any standpoint. And, and I will say this, like. The guys from Dark Side of the Ring and their approach, it does seem like they're able to pull these conversations out of people um, that we haven't heard in years and years, really, like their thoughts on it. I mean, we heard the we heard the comments from the funeral and stuff, if you read dirt sheets or whatever. But like this was an open like hearing her talking about walking out onto that catwalk. Like I had never heard that before. I'm a huge fucking wrestling fan, but I had never heard that she went there and did that, brought home all the police investigation stuff and like knew that something happened right and i mean i think that's the biggest thing is i mean wwe admitted something happened they paid her 18 million dollars you don't pay someone 18 million dollars unless someone fucked up so i i respect them i think they paid a i'm sure they paid out their fucking ass to get the wwe footage that they used uh that's the other part of this is after this season, I don't know that they're getting a lot of this wrestling footage. Well, I believe that they were on, I don't know who, but they get around it because they record it. Like, they record a recording of it, and somehow that's like a loophole. That's why it kind of looks weird with any of the past wrestling footage you see that's WWE. I I wish I had all the information, but I remember them explaining this, and that's how they cut costs with that. It's, that's going to be very interesting to hold up in a court of law if Vince is pissed about this one. This well, season. yeah. He, the, 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 uh, the two things I want to kind of talk about before we um, wrap it up, uh, one of them was something that Jericho brought up to her and also brought up on the show, and it's it sucks. It's kind of like a fantasy concept that we can never go back. Obviously, we want him to live and view his family and everything, but that time period, if Owen were to, you know, and Owen was – Kind of beaten down then. Brett was gone. You know, Sean was gone. A lot of the wrestlers that he worked with were gone. He was low man on the totem pole. You know, it, it, they weren't using him, obviously. Well, they fucking did the blue blazer thing again. And Chris was, like, talking to Martha and said it in the documentary, if he were to have, you know, been there, he would have had a career resurgence because I come the next year, Kurt Angle, Edge, Christian, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, 
all of us are in there in the next two years. All of us would have worked with, with Owen Hart. It would have just been, you know, Kurt Angle, who was the first person. A lot of people don't know this in a dark match, and I wish that they fucking recorded it. Owen uh, tried out Kurt Angle and told Joe, uh, Briscoe and, and McMahon that he was going to be a future star and a future champion. Uh, was the first person to wrestle him. Uh, was the first person to wrestle uh, Christian and Edge, uh, you know, after they worked at, uh, whatchamacallit, the dungeon. Owen was the one who trained them when they first came to WWE. So it, it's, I mean, obviously the tragedy is, is bigger than this. You know, a wife lost his husband, kids lost their father, but also within his career itself, you know, he would have, it would have been, it, it just sucks that they fucking underutilized him so much. Like he is, you know, he's he's technical enough to be able to keep up with with Brett and have great technical matches, and and aerial enough to be able to keep up with Sean for speed. You know, it's he was ridiculous. He was a freak, and he was a great heel. Like he, he got you to hate him. Like just, I don't know, man. The original Blackheart. Oh God, King King of the Blackhearts, man. <laughs> he kicked the leg out of Brett's leg. He kicked the leg out of Brett's leg. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I did what I did, and that's why I kicked the leg out of your leg. (laughs) They showed showed the promo, but they they left out the best part that had wrestling fans for forever saying, I'll kick the leg out of your leg. That's what I remember from that promo. (laughs) Oh, man. But could you imagine that? I mean, it is kind of like a fantasy. It's, it's kind of like if Macho Man stayed WWF and had that two-year program with, with Shawn Michaels to retire. You know, that the, those stories that we hear um, with this thing, if Owen, you know, a couple fucking months later would have trickled in people his size and acceptable, he would have been wrestling matches with Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, and fucking Benoit. I mean, Owen... <sighs> They didn't really talk about this on the gate uh, on the documentary, but he became a little bit of a gatekeeper for people they were going to push. So they would have him work with Steve Blackman. They would have him work with like Ahmed Johnson. They had him work like if I remember kind of a shoot match with either Dan Severn or Ken Shamrock. I can't remember who it was right off. Both of them. Yeah, and like the London matches. Yeah, and he was always the guy that they would put there. That's it's kind of like um, I mean I'm not gonna put Dolph Ziggler on the same level as Owen Hart, uh, but there's similarities I could see. Yeah. It's where Dolph Ziggler is kind of at where he, in his career where it's like yeah, but like you're not the guy, you're just a guy that's good. So here you go. And I mean, with what they were going for and who Owen was and his character. Uh, like, they just threw him into random shit. Like, he was in the Nation of Domination as a white yeah. guy. So, like... Um, I think Mark I Henry forced that. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think a lot of that was, uh, you know, one Russo slash Attitude Era booking, which he would have been kind of... By then, by 99, I think he was out. Like, headed out the door. I could be wrong on that, but... I mean, a lot of this is like they it seems like they saw Owen as the past and you had a bunch of influx of people coming in. It would have been very interesting to see him walk up with a lot of these guys. And what I will say that Chris Jericho didn't mention is these guys did not have the best run coming in either. Like the way Evolution was booked originally was not great. So they probably would have been working with uh, Owen and stuff. The difference is we would have gotten some really fucking great matches out of that. 
sad. <laughs> like, it's, it's really sad. And I will say, like, watch the documentary. If you're a huge wrestling fan and you know a lot about Owen, there's definitely some stuff that you could probably skip around. But the, the Martha the Martha stuff and, and her son specifically talking about the situation and everything that occurred after, I pay very close attention to. Because I think that's the big takeaway. And, and the one thing that they do well on these is uh, getting some of those more personable family interviews that we've never seen. And that, that even goes back to the Benoit story with uh, Chris Benoit's or, uh, sister-in-law. Yeah. All right. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to say, uh, based on the documentary, and it was kind of what I was saying before, and I mean, I don't want to get any flack for this. I think, obviously, and I, I have no clue what Chris's opinion is on this. Um, obviously, Martha lost her husband. They were in love. They had a family. Um I just think, and it was kind of like I was saying, there was no hearts. There was not a lot of wrestlers that I've heard in interviews, and I'm not, I'm not just Brett, who obviously has issues with Martha. That's 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 known. Um, that Owen cared a lot about wrestling more so than her. His family wants to pretend that he did, basically. Like he cared about his legacy, and obviously, you can tell that. Martha, she's kind of come around to it the last couple of years, but Oj, I don't think, wants anything to do with wrestling. And Athena even said straight up that if his dad was never in wrestling, that he would still be alive. And that's the concept in her head, and I completely understand that. It just sucks that there wasn't a counterpoint to some of that where, you know, we got to know what I've heard people talk about of his passion for wrestling because he's part of the Hart family. And they kind of try to, it seems like, make it look like that was absolutely nothing because of the hatred with the WWE and what happened, which is completely understandable. But not having Bret Hart there to talk a little bit about his side or Bruce or any of them. You know, the fact that she dissociated the whole entire family, that that the cousins don't talk to Ocean. Well, they, they've, they've tried to work out relationship with them, but was kind of shunned. And that was also because of a lot of people taking sides with the lawsuit. But I don't know all the details behind that because we didn't get those details at all is what I'm trying to say. So not saying that there's anything wrong that Martha did, but she said words like reckoning. Her kids hate wrestling. It just kind of would have been nice to have a heart member or a couple kind of give their side of the story of Owen as a part of the heart dynasty as well. I don't know. Am I wrong for thinking that, Chris? Chris? No, I, I don't think you did. I think they tried to address it with what was happening at the time of all of this with the lawsuit, which is a lot of the family was wrestlers, and you're tying Vince McMahon up in court, and it's going to be really hard for them to get to the biggest show on earth, kind of the only show, because they put WCW out of business before that lawsuit ended. So, I mean... <laughs> As fucked up as it sounds, you know, people tend to look in their their bubble of their family um, and not necessarily cousins and, and shit like you, you have. You were talking about the, the large family he had. But one of the things they say in that documentary is all of the wrestlers marry <laughs> all of the re- all of the kids were wrestlers and the girls married wrestlers. 
Um, and you see that yeah. in a lot of the heart lineage. So I think it's it's a double-edged sword a little bit, and that probably rubs some people the wrong way. And she was very outspoken about her feelings of the, the WWE, and I think she has every right to be. Um, Absolutely. I, I just don't know what the other side of that story would be unless they wanted to get real petty. And maybe that's why a lot of yeah. people decline to talk. See, I would hope that it would be better than that, and it would be more of a reflection of Owen actually, and and his him being a part of the the Hart family itself, you know, and more of the aspects of him actually liking wrestling, where it's kind of what we're supposed to think from this documentary with Martha's side that wrestling was basically nothing to him, and you know, especially based on the children, pretty much hating it, you know, understandably. There's there's nothing wrong with the way that they think, especially stuff presented within their life and everything that happened. It just, it's just, it, we're supposed to, the, the wrestling side of it, we're supposed to believe is not even really there, is kind of the narrative of the documentary. And that's because the people that were part of that didn't really talk about him within wrestling that were on that documentary. And his family members or other people that have said stuff outside of this didn't really get to say anything. I'm not saying Brett would have been good to have on there because obviously him and Martha have beef, but you know, I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing. It's it's your family versus your it's it's your inner family versus your bigger family. It, it's it's a fucked up concept. I mean, I think the thing they probably could have drove home more was Owen's personality on the road and how he was a prankster and yeah. how he did like the business. Um. And I mean, if you t- if you take away one thing from the documentary outside of uh, the, the stuff we've already talked about, is they're talking about how fucking good he was at this and how he, how dedicated he was to it. And like, you don't get to be this good if you don't love wrestling. Most people fade out really quickly. There's very few exceptions. Like Sting wasn't a huge wrestling fan. Like lex luger wasn't a huge wrestling fan but to be the pinnacle that like like owen hart is considered technically and in ring wise and personality wise during that time period when brett was there specifically like you don't get to be that good if you don't love the business because especially in the wwe because vince isn't going to try to push you and maybe that's changed but during this time period that's a real hard fucking sell so i think that's what they put over they could have done a better job I agree with you. I don't necessarily know the family needed to be there for that, but they could have just had like, you know, Jim Cornette talking about how this guy liked wrestling, unless he really didn't like it, was just this damn good at it, which would be insane. (laughs) It would be. Um, It could be, you know, and I've heard, I've heard, I've just basically heard in shoot interviews that she kind of wanted to race Owen with wrestling just in general. And I mean, all those things that we said, like I said, all the stuff that she's, he's been put into have been a part of the last two years. So finally, after years, she's kind of like come around to it a bit. And I don't I, – like I said, I don't blame her for hating wrestling because it took her husband. I don't blame – or the WWF or anything like that. She doesn't, he doesn't need to go in the fucking WWF Hall of Fame. He's Everyone knows he's one of the greatest wrestlers. It's just – he was an innovator. And even hearing Jericho, Chris, talk to her and be like, like – it's like she didn't she didn't get it until Chris like clicked it in her head that he was hugely influential to modern style of wrestling and that so many wrestlers took from his style and that he's very important within the world of wrestling. That was something that he was kind of trying to hammer home almost to her. But 
like I said, I if you look at it the other side with people that disassociate themselves with wrestling or children of a father that died, then I'm not going to give a flying fuck about it. And I, I completely get that. It's kind of I just wish there was a little bit of balance to show his appreciation for wrestling, kind of like you were talking about some of the road stories that we've heard with Owen and shit. And I think some of that comes down to the, the like how you're looking at it from two different angles because we we don't know Owen personally. We know him through stories, but if he was yeah. if he was family man first, that's what she wants to drive home. And like with everything that she went through with Vince McMahon, suing Vince McMahon is not an easy fucking thing to do, by the way. And they kind of no. talked about how shitty. They talked about how shitty he was about that because he wanted to make that loss. That was one thing that came out that I didn't know about was he wanted to move the lawsuit to to Connecticut because there's basically a loophole in the law because Vince McMahon lives there where he wouldn't have to pay punity damages if that's where that happened. So there's a lot of other shady shit inside this that like, yeah, like, of course, she fucking hates wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) One, it killed her husband. And two, like there's a lot of fucking stupid people out there that just go like, hey, won't you let, like, you know, Owen be in the WWE Hall of Fame? It's like, I mean, I get her side of it completely. I just think, like, you know, if you're shooting a documentary, you need to put over the fact that, like, he didn't hate the fans. He he tried his best to perform really well for them. And I think it, when with, when they're talking about how great his matches were, that's what I, I just took that away of, like, he cared about it. Right? Yeah. And I think you just wanted someone to like say and confirm it but i think it's unsaid when someone performs at the level that owen hart did no it's ridiculous he's he's one of the best he's i mean for modern style obviously all the great lucha libre but you know when you when you come over with american legends it's gonna be brett it's gonna be sean it's gonna be owen um pillman you know a couple guys that started doing crazier shit and then started doing Lucha Libre and going to fucking Japan and learning with other greats over there. I mean, he's definitely, he's on that pedestal when it comes to in-ring wrestling performer, I would say, when it comes to innovation. Yeah, and, and I mean, specifically, in, like I said, in, in WWF, no one else was doing that shit when he came in. So, no. like, if you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, well, he was a game changer, especially now when you watch... And there's a 75 billion spots and like <laughs> good technical in aerial wrestlers. Um, he was a little, little bit of that, like him and Brian Pillman are the two guys that come to mind that changed the thought process of wrestling. If you go back and watch, you know, late eighties, early nineties wrestling, they're, they're two of the innovators, at least in America. I mean, like there's mm-hmm. obviously other people we can name off in new Japan, triple a and um, around oh, yeah. the rest of the world, but introduct like introducing the american tv audience to that style those are the two names that come to mind would be for me brian pillman and owen hart and and i would throw jushin liger in there and some of the other japanese title that came like japanese talent that came Tiger out of mask but they were um, they were specifically from new japan <laughs> so i don't yeah. count them because they weren't there full time that was like a tour thing no, there's there's a bunch of great ones, and Owen was definitely one of them. And uh, recommend watching the documentary, and uh, you know checking out some of his awesome matches. There's a lot of them out there. He was he was pretty impressive because one thing that, like I said, the the, the thing is like, oh, 
this guy's not only good technically, he's, he's good fucking, you know, with aero maneuvers, selling, speed, you know, he can last for a long time. And then he's actually good as an entertainer. Like, he was hilarious with the Slammy Awards, you know, him being a heel. He was a great fucking just swarmy heel. You wanted to see him get his ass kicked. And his match with Bret Hart, WrestleMania, and the match, I think, at SummerSlam in the cage, two amazing matches. You know, kind of like how I feel like everyone always groups Bret and Sean. And don't get me wrong, the the Survivor Series, the, the Screwjob match was a good match until that ending. And the Iron Man match is an awesome classic. And they had a great ladder match when they were younger before that. But to me, Sean worked better with, I think, personally, Undertaker and Kurt Angle. <clears throat> and when it comes to Brett, I think Brett and Owen were perfect together. I, I don't think they ever had a bad match. Uh, I, I would say, like, if I had to go one Brett match, it would be Brett versus Austin. But this, the follow-up would be Brett versus That's, Owen. Yeah. That Brett, Brett, I think, and I was going to say, like, now that you mention it, kind of like Brett, Brett worked fucking well with Austin, man. Owen worked well with Austin, too. It was tragic what happened with the uh, injury, but I don't know. We're going around in circles. I love Owen Hart. Do you love Owen Hart? <laughs> we all love Owen Hart on this podcast. There's no Owen Hart haters. This is not a Nia Jax conversation. <laughs> There's no Nia Jax involved. And... I'm surprised. Do we even have him? we got to add him to the uh, Hall of Fame contenders list sometime soon, sir. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean that room. list, to, to be fair to ourselves, that list is fucking stacked. Uh, and yeah, that's nothing yeah, against Owen is. Hart, and I still love Owen Hart, but that's like, there's, we can definitely add him in, but that list is pretty, it's a pretty fucking stacked list, dog. <laughs> it's pretty damn good list. I'm, I'm pretty impressed and happy with it. But um, all right. Well, I think that's the show, guys. We gave you three hours of fun stuff, and we're gonna have another show this weekend to go over on SmackDown and the Undertaker Last Ride documentary, Darkness. Actually, really good shit. But um, and all news related stuff. We'll have a great show for you. But appreciate you guys listening. Chris, say goodbye to all the great people out there. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to talk to me about anything wrestling related or sports or hockey related specifically, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Um, love this show. Once again, love Owen Hart. Rest in peace, Chad. Really tragic. Feel bad about that. Uh, rest in peace, Owen, to that extent as well. But uh, thanks so much for uh, at doing this show with me, Dane. It's the highlight of my week. Thanks, buddy. Me too. And uh, exactly. Rest in peace, Shad. Rest in peace, Owen. Pretty sure Macho's birthday's coming up. Or maybe it's the uh, anniversary of his death. But uh, rest in peace, Macho Man Randy Savage. Sad stuff, but uh, great people. Great entertainers. Wrestling's got its ups, it's got its downs. And it's got the show. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, come back and listen. Uh, if you want to listen to Wrestling Geeks Alliance, you guys can find it on any audio platform, any downloadable one, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, any of those ones. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And, uh, yeah, we'll have some great stuff for you guys later on this week. If you want to contact me, Daniels on Facebook, Daniels42 on Twitter. Come and find out. Uh, you know what it's all about have a conversation with me it'll be great it'll be good stuff 
And uh, yeah, you guys have a lovely, lovely time. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you so much. Peace out. Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Motherfuckers.